It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, I know this is contrary to how we do things on Lost, but I'm asking you not to push that button. Do not skip forward in time. Do not go further in time past these words. Hear me out. It's Josh Wiggler, one of your co-pilots here on Lost Down the Hatch. I have some important stuff to tell you, something important to talk to you about really quickly. Um, as many of you know, we've been recording these episodes of Down the Hatch a little bit out of sync, uh, several days in advance of publishing these podcasts, about nine days total, I would say, something like that. Uh, it's not quite a lost number. Would, would that it were, that would have been great. Um, largely because of my job that I've been working over the last uh, couple of months. That's what the announcement is about. If you do not follow me on the internets at Round Howard, which of course you should, or if you are not yet, and I do say yet, a patron of post show recaps, then perhaps you missed this news, which is I have uh, decided that I'm, this is exciting. I am much like how Desmond kind of made it into his calling to push the button full time in the hatch. Uh, it's, he didn't really, it, it was not quite his choice. It was not exactly his preferred vocation. So it's not exactly the best comparison. Uh, I'm a little nervous saying this because I'm really excited about it and I'm trying to figure out how best to share the news. I've decided to become a full time podcaster. There's some imposter syndrome that's breaking through as I'm telling you that I have decided to become a full-time podcaster, and I have decided that post-show recaps is going to be the spot, and that this is my job. And it's not just a thing that I do for super funsies, even though it is super, super funsies, but this is actually going to be my calling and my thing that I do. Um, I'm very pumped about this. I am really excited about what it means for the future of post-show recaps. I want to take this as an opportunity. I know I'm very shameless with the Patreon already. Indulge me in being shameless for just another like a minute or so. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. We talked to you about the Discord, the sprawling community network that we've got where listeners of post show recaps get together, uh, have fun, talk about all sorts of stuff, play games. It's really an amazing community. We talk about how we've got bonus podcasts just for the patrons of Post Show Recaps. There's big incentives to signing up for the Patreon. But I would also like to just speak to you if you were somebody who like, I don't know that I care about that stuff. I get what I get out of Down the Hatch. I listen to the podcast every week. Look, if that's you and that's what you got going on, you can't afford to sign up for the Patreon or you just want to you know, do your thing. All good. Totally fine. We're still here. That's the plan. We're not going anywhere. But if you were ever on the fence, I would say this is not a bad moment to consider hopping off and joining us. We're in the home stretch here on Down the Hatch. Mike Bloom and I have talked about some fun ideas for plans that we want to do once we're finished with the Lost Rewatch podcast. If we have brought you joy, if we have brought you some diversion in these times, and if you want to show some support for the podcast... This would be a really amazing time to do it. I know I would greatly appreciate it, and I think you'd get a lot out of it as well. So just if you've been thinking about it, 
figured now would be a good time to do the shameless plug. I'm going to continue to do the shameless plugs. I love that I'm talking about it as if it's just happening here on this one podcast, as if I'm not just going to do this on all the podcasts for the next several weeks. Uh, but it is happening here on the Lost Podcast. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. Join us. I really believe you're not going to regret it. I think you're going to have a really great time if you sign up and you're helping to support this podcast. That means so much to me, means so much to my co-hosts, means so much to you, I hope. So please think about it. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. Support the podcast. If you can't do it right now, all good. We're still here. We're barreling forward through the rest of season four in this podcast. Next week, we've got the season four feedback special. Then we got one bonus podcast that we're going to do just to give ourselves a little bit of a buffer. And then, oh my God, we're up to the time travel season. So I hope you didn't travel through time to get to the proper podcast. I hope you took a moment to listen to what I had to say. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. With all of that said, onward with the show. I hope you're happy now, Jacob.
have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps talking Season 4 Finale! The final episode of Season 4. There's no place like home. Parts 2 and 3. And uh, I just want to uh, brace everybody for what I assume is going to be Mike Bloom when I introduce him. Just sustained screaming uh, in his best son impression. So just like dial it down just a little bit lower that volume. I'm going to keep filibustering just in case. Do it quickly because he's coming in. Mike Bloom. Ah! <laughs> you told me and I complied. I, I hope knew you're it. Happy, I Josh. knew it was happening. I knew it was happening. I just figured I'd get in front of it. Uh, Mike, season four. How about that? Uh, so this is an episode, Josh, specifically parts two and three. Of, I have to say really quickly before you even go anywhere that like the acoustics in this coffin that we're in, by the way, are pretty good. Yeah, not a lot of reverberation. I guess I because guess it's, it's not it's, a surprise. It, it's like cushioned. Yeah, I was gonna say it's padded, so I think it's almost like built-in egg crates. Yeah, you know, you could. I don't understand why people don't podcast from a coffin more. Yeah, Hofstrauer uh, podcast studio is pretty cool. <laughs> it really does double. That's why you know the tough thing is they don't give keys to the podcaster. So sometimes Jack kind of does look like a podcaster, though, right? He's like you know white guy with a beard, ready to sit down and expose yeah. his pain to others. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, Shepherd's Show would be awful. Oh yeah, especially like 2007 Shepherd's Show. Yeah. Like, all right, guys. Yeah, welcome Jack. to Doc Talk. Yeah, I'm not. Into, right, call, I'm not I, I don't technically have a medical license anymore, but you're on the line with Jack Shepard. I do think it would be funny to rank uh, the various characters from Lost, from like the one you would want to hear the podcast from the most to the least. Um, I would say I think Sawyer's number one. Like I Sawyer's love high on the list. Sawyer's yeah, I think very I, high. Hurley's someone that you want to like podcast with sawyer's the one you want to hear a podcast from right because like he's gonna have all these stories yeah. i feel like he's gonna sort of have that like randy bailey-esque churlish energy to him where he's constantly nicknaming the people there he's are, guesting with there are a few people hurley would be great sawyer would be great frank lapidus would be tremendous yeah well uh, frank, frank would be a great person to throw to a la like a howard stern type of like what do you think frank he just goes terrific terrific no his like conspiracy podcasting would be mm. pretty tremendous um, uh, frank, frankly speaking starring frank lapidus yeah uh let's talk frankly um all right well let's talk frankly about the finale mike because we started to last week yeah. Uh, we did take the week off just to emulate what that experience was like. And it was worse in real time. It was two weeks in real time right. between I, parts I, one and two and three. I do believe I did some research about this. So I'd wondered uh, out loud last week, like, for what reason was the episode delayed two weeks? But apparently that was kind of a show thing because initially ABC only gave them one hour for a finale. But Damon and Carlton came back with like this. 85 page script for parts two and three and so they said like please 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 make this two hours i do not think we can cut anything out of this monolith of a script abc said okay but we do have something currently scheduled for whatever it was like the week of the 19th i think it was but we can bump it back to or uh for the, to the 22nd but we can bump it back to the 29th so actually it wasn't any sort of like major event 
that caused the one week break between episodes. It was just merely that there was it was supposed to initially air on the 22nd, but because ABC decided to give them that extra hour, they had to shift things around and move a two hour block to the 29th. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they chose wisely. They really need both of these hours that we're getting into. This event, mm-hmm. this finale, really does need that three-hour sprawl. It's pretty vital. Because uh, so much happens, man. It's crazy. I look at this episode, and this is one of those episodes for me where, for whatever reason... My short-term memory fails every single time with There's No Place Like Home, specifically parts two and three, where I'll watch the episode and say, hot damn, that's one of my favorite Lost episodes ever. And then for whatever reason, by the time I come back to watching it again, I do not remember that it's one of my favorite episodes. And I'm like, oh, hot damn, this is one of my favorite episodes of Lost. And I will say with full throat that, yes, this is one of my favorite episodes of Lost. I do feel like... It's weird to say it's underrated because we're both going to give it 4.2s, but I do feel like when people talk about the Lost finales, it's usually Exodus, The End, and Through the Looking Glass for obvious reasons. But I think There's No Place Like Home is an incredibly strong finale. It has that pulse-pounding action that you have spoken about in our last podcast as well, but there is a lot of emotional resonance over the course of this podcast. A lot of big arcs uh, for many of these characters, Sawyer, Ben, you could say son, arguably uh, for the worst, depending on what she goes through. Michael is finally going to get his closure. A lot of characters have many big moments throughout these three episodes that it's not just here's lost the action movie. It's here's lost the action movie for maybe episode two. But then episode three is absolutely chock full of just huge yeah. moments of resolution, at least in the moment. Yeah, I think this is top three finale for me. I think this is like uh, it's 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 a toss up between uh, three and one. But I think the popular consensus would be three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would go one and then I would go four. And then I think uh, five, six, two. That sounds right to me. Uh, but this is a, but, you know, it's like choosing your favorite kid. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> uh I mean, I guess I don't know. Maybe you do. Do you actually I, have a favorite? I, 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 I don't have know. A pretty easy uh, consensus. Easy, <laughs> easy answer for you, but you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think it's it's hard to say. I love I, I love all of the finales, even. Um, but I think the uh, I, I think this one is it underrated? Is an interesting question. It's it's exceptional. It's yeah. exceptional, and I think again we talked about this last week. About like the snake eating its own tail uh, quality to it of like how it starts versus how it ends. Um, <laughs> great meme. I was gonna say uh, the meme is what it's, <laughs> is it the Oceanic Six getting off the plane and then how it uh, ends is them arriving in Mimbata. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. Um, all right, so and here's how this is going to work. We're not going to get into feedback this week because that's coming your way. Next week uh, is going to be the season four feedback special. And the good news is, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on the normal release day, hey, we actually haven't recorded that one yet. You still got time to get your season four feedback in. Uh, So make sure you do that. I believe we will be recording our feedback special, our season four feedback special on April 28th is the game plan. So you have until like that morning 
to get your feedback in. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. Those feedback specials are always so fun to do. And we've been very skimpy on the feedback throughout <laughs> season four due to the recording schedule and what it needed to be. Um, so we're looking forward to hearing from all of you on that front. Um, Mike, there's so much to get into here that mm-hmm. unless you've got a, a like a thing you want to talk about, I feel like enough preamble like otherwise we're gonna be here for 17 hours yeah we the podcasters the only thing i will mention is we'll sort of yada yada through the the we go forth stuff the only thing i want to note is this stuff has stayed the same same writers damon lindelof and carlton cuse same centric characters of the oceanic six though this time but we were sort of focusing in part one on like the oceanic six arriving home in that short time frame these two episodes are going to take us back to the time frame of Through the Looking Glass, which is the three years later time frame, which will become of much more importance as we get into season five. But it should be noted, Josh, for the first and maybe the last time in Lost history, we have different directors between these uh, sort of multi-part installments of an episode. Stephen Williams directed part one, but Jack Bender was brought in to direct parts two and three. And I know part of that was due to, again, sort of like Dalton trying to build the plane as it flies or the helicopter, as it were, trying to, like, get this all pieced together. If you watch the, watch the Lost on Location feature for this episode, it's really fun. They have a shot of the writer's room where there's, like, a giant illustrated map of the island with little pictures of the Oceanic Six trying to figure out, okay, at the end of part one, we put them to four corners of the Earth. How do they all get together at this point, trying to map everything out? But apparently there was one scene they were filming, and you have Jack Bender be like, the script hasn't been written yet, so we're not sure what we're doing, but that's how it is on Lost. So, again, this shows how, despite the fact that, you know, they came back from the writer's strike, certainly in a stronger place than when they left it, there was still a lot of stuff they had to pack in there at the end. I totally co-sign what you said. This could not have been a one-hour episode. Not in the slightest. There's no way. I don't even know how you do it. Like, even turning, like, the three hours into two is just basically impossible with what they had conceived uh, for the story. There's just no way. Yeah, and it it reflects in the fact that we are going to have a large number of sounds over the course of this podcast. I mean, why don't we open up with one, Josh? Because this episode starts in such a fun way again we haven't really visited the uh the the we have to go back era of things since the end of season three season four has all been about getting to that point so now let's pick back up with it and let's literally start from the very moment that season three flash forward ends with sound number one of through the looking glass or the part sorry part one of there's no place like home yeah part two. It begins kind of what as the as the end of uh, it's yeah. like the through the looking glass epilogue. Uh, so yeah, let's listen in as Kate reacts to the we have to go back moment. We have to go back. We have to go back. Who do you think you are? You call me over and over again for two days straight, stoned on your pills. And then you show up here with an obituary for Jeremy Bentham. When he came to me and I heard what he had to say, I knew he was crazy. But you, 
You believed him? Yes. Him, of all people? Yes, Kate, I did because he said that that was the only way that I could keep you safe. You and Aaron. Don't you say his name. I still have to explain to him why you are not there to read to him, so don't you say his name! three years trying to forget all the horrible things that happened on the day that we left how dare you ask me to go back the genuine we have to go back we have to go back because you yeah, always wonder she's like so mad she's what, what, so mad <laughs> I, and I guess jack was shouting loud enough for her to hear him right she's not like him putting on grunge music immediately as she gets in the car to drown out her feelings yeah she uh listens uh she she drives around with the windows down no well i think well she probably has like raffi in the car or something right considering that she's usually carting Aaron around yeah, yeah. do you know the muffin man we have to go back <laughs> Baby shark, yeah, do, 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 yeah, do. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the, baby shark was the one that they uh, dealt with in season two, right? Yeah, well, that was more a uh, daddy shark. Unfortunately, daddy baby shark, shark when uh, was orphaned, I think, by the end of that episode. <laughs> oh, vicious, so vicious. <laughs> um, but this is this is great. It does bring in one thing that I find a little bit frustrating throughout the finale is like the whole like everybody calling him Jeremy Bentham, uh, the John Locke stuff. It's like, you come to me with an obituary for Jeremy Bentham. It's like, was there not another way? This is also, you know, I, I've talked about it before, but we're not quite there yet. But this, like, gets into the, like, you know what grinds my gears territory <laughs> of uh, that they don't even just give the man in black a name, and so they just call him mm. Locke. Like, this stuff is, like... Uh, this is like very like this like very specifically uh triggering for for your boy Josh Wiggler uh that probably doesn't trigger people the same way it triggers me maybe it does I don't know but the whole like you come to me with an obituary for Jeremy Bentham don't call him that that's not his name you don't you don't he like he showed up with like a slight alias you're not going to really remember that and you're certainly not going to call him that out loud just, I don't know. I get could it, mad. Could it be a thing? Because Saeed's going to talk later with Hurley, right, about how it's clear that he is being watched. Could there just be this paranoia that someone's watching them at all times, that they don't want to necessarily let their guys down too much? Even though, to this point, this is a conversation where Jack literally says, like, we have to go back to the island. So I'm not sure how secretive he's trying to be. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I know, you know, the Saeed, like, don't say his name. Uh, that, that I can buy a little bit better. Where it's like, maybe they don't know who Jeremy Bentham is, but we do. Don't say his name out loud. You're being right, like, watched. Like, unless his picture is in his obituary, they're just going to read it and be like, okay, this seems like some sort of rando guy. Yeah. Uh, who's rando guy? 
Oh, that's uh, that's actually Kimi's <laughs> alter alias. Instead of Rambo uh, guy, as Hurley calls him, he's Rando guy. Yeah. Do you like that we go straight back to the end of Through the Looking Glass? Like, do you think that this is needed? Like, do you think that that swift response, does it uh, in any way impact the power of we have to go back one way or the other, whether it, like, bolsters or dilutes it? I mean, listen, I'm going to speak from a bias here as I will throughout this episode, because I really do feel like this is a perfect episode of Lost. So there's very little for me to quibble about. I don't have a problem with it, because I think, again, we have not visited this time frame since that moment. I think it would have been much more jarring if we cut to, you know, what these characters are doing three years later without this scene. This is sort of us easing ourselves into the waters of 2007 and letting right. ourselves get settled rather than just, like, throwing us into a pot of boiling water and say, welcome back to 2007, folks. It's been a while. Well, something that's interesting about this, too, you know, uh, is that, like, this isn't just through the looking glass epilogue. Um, this is season five prologue in a very yeah. meaningful way. Cause like we will, we will, uh, we will rush forward with the story beats based on where we find all of these people in their flash forwards, where they are in their flash forwards here in this episode here in, um, the second or like the, the, the next two thirds of the finale, <laughs> I should say, uh, that is directly fueling what the quote-unquote present of season five is going to be. So mm -hmm. it is very effective in that in that way because, you know, not quite the first half of season five, but like I, at least like the first third or so yeah. is going to be dealing with these people in a state that's really close to where we find them here in this moment. Like Jack is still like a very fresh, down-on-his-luck alcoholic who just desperately wants to go back and has blinders on to everything else. Kate is uh, now having her kind of like increasing paranoia over the Claire stuff that's going to start happening for her in this episode and like kind of like feeling like she needs to be on the run with with Aaron. Sun is like getting ready to make her move against Benjamin Linus. That's what's going to fuel her in the early going of season five. Um, Hurley and Saeed together is going to be like very, very, very memorable season five stuff. And then, of course, mm -hmm. like Ben coming to link up with Jack is the story engine um, for so much of like this off island stuff that's no longer flash forward material. We are now like recalibrating with the new status quo. Yeah. And to that point, the course of these episodes, uh, we're going to talk about this at the very end, but this is the last time up and through up since the beginning of the pilot, everything has played out in one seamless timeline. We have never gotten any jumps forward in time obviously we have in flashbacks but until the one week later of the oceanic six deciding to finally leave from mbata everything has been one continuous stream right and i think that's a very big dividing moment to say like i know again you talk about how through the looking glass is the closing of a book but this maybe this is almost like the closing of the appendix of that first book you know because i do feel like careful don't <laughs> just get up and start running around yeah exactly listen don't pop your stitches don't bleed out uh i think that there is there's a lot of finality to this finale uh to the point where I'm, we're not going to bring in feedback but i do believe someone asked us like could this work as a series finale? In some ways, not. But in some ways, kind of so, Josh. Again, as I say, there are certainly closing elements of some characters' arcs in this in this finale that definitely do feel 
final. Uh, and so I, I do think that saying, okay, this is all going to play out. But then when we skip ahead one week, that sort of now marks a distinct time period shows here when to your point and especially in the final scene when we're going to get the first drips and drabs of jack and ben working together the once embittered enemies are now allies right. to get back to the island we're really parsing this out throughout i think it's also a good reminder of where we left jack and kate even though something nice back home was only a few weeks ago at this point we do need a reminder of just you know how bad that situation was kate slaps Jack, basically, when he invokes Aaron's name and she yeah. barely tells him, I still have to explain to him why you're not there to read to him. I also think I'm trying to remember, Josh, and through the looking glass. I'm sorry, Aaron. Jack forgot how to read. Yeah, he's illiterate now and he's He'd going back here, to school. But he lost the ability. <laughs> he's going back to school a la Billy Madison. That's why he's not around. He it has to go through all 12 grades. Sudden, uh, sudden illness, Aaron. Life I mean, is hard out there. <laughs> Things happen. I think this is also the first time that we mentioned the three-year time jump, right? Because I don't believe, obviously, due to the twist of Through the Looking Glass, that they mention the time that has passed. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, and so it, it really, you feel the weight, I think, of the time that has passed to the point where, like, despite his loud chested declaration to her, when Kate comes back to ream him out, Jack can barely look her in the eye. Like yeah. he almost he almost feels like ashamed afterwards for making that ask of her now suddenly realizing, you know, everything that has led up to this moment. Yeah, it's he's starting to to wake up and like he's No, that's season six. Right. He he's asking for help, you know? And for someone like Jack, that's not easy. Uh and for someone like Jack who is uh, you know, I think, you know, somebody who uh, has already exhibited like obsessive qualities, uh, has uh, at least shown up to this point, you know, before he became, you know, uh, you know, an alcoholic, uh, full on abusing painkillers and stuff. I think somebody who showed like a propensity towards that kind of behavior potentially. And in the throes of that, it's really hard to ask for help. So he's yeah. asking for help and he's turning to someone who uh, has been a safe spot, uh, like a safe space in the past and somebody who has been like his closest ally and the person that he loves and asking her for help. And given the way that he treated her and given what he's asking for, um, you know, Kate is not wrong to read him for filth, <laughs> but like Jack is also not wrong emotionally, right? To like uh, take it so hard yeah, like I, th I think of all people for him to ask in the oceanic six kate would make the most sense in 2004 but i think in 2007 it's not considering everything they've been through off island namely like the way he betrayed her from what we saw in something nice back but home. Who, so i agree with it. i think it makes sense. sense who does like you know i think that that's yeah. like that that's the sad thing about a uh, about a person like jack and one of the reasons why like i do find him to be such a compelling character because he's such a He's like a, a hurt person who hurts people. Uh, and and here he is now as a hurt person who's looking to heal desperately. I mean, hurt, uh, hurt people do hurt people. So I think know? It, it scans. And so like he's like he's trying to like get some help and he's not somebody who's good at it. And here he is like actually finally like asking someone for help. And it's getting like thrown back in his face and probably just like helping to sort of 
reemphasize like that, like uh, sort of like that complex of like, it's all on me. Um, it's really, it's really messy. There's no like yeah. sort of like cleanliness to this. It's, it's as messy as his apartment with the, with the waterlogged <laughs> roast beef sandwich. Uh, it's tough. It's really, really tough. I think that there are ways in which like you can feel like Jack has sort of like bought his position here and, and simultaneously still just like feel awful for him as mm-hmm. the human being who is just like, uh, he he is right now what he wears on his body in the jungle, a.k.a. a big gaping wound. He is just like an oozing, pussing injury right now. And I think it's pertinent to your point that we cut from the emotionally wounded Jack to the physically wounded Jack, right? He's voyaging through the jungle, going forth, tallying forth, I guess, as you would be wont to say. But we close in on the specifically that wound, which is uh, is festering at this moment. But it shows also a key difference between these two forms of Jack. This form of Jack is wounded, but puts his head down and stubbornly moves forward, right? Because he has a goal to accomplish. The Jack in 2007 is almost opening up his wound in this yeah. moment. He He's not pushing forward stubbornly because he has to fix something. He does have to fix something, but in this case, he does so by opening himself up only to get denied. Yeah, uh, so let's go to the jungle. Uh, Jack and Sawyer, they reach the orchid. Jack is still injured. Um, they're trying to figure out a plan for like, how to get in, but luckily they don't really need uh, to to worry about it because Kimi has already come. He's taken Ben, and now right. Locke is in the orchid, futzing around, looking for the flower, trying to yeah. find the the plants. Oh, and, and Hurley's uh, doing stuff with plants as well, considering that they catch him taking a piss. Yeah, he's uh, just peeing wh- in the jungle. Which, uh, it makes me wonder. I guess Poor maybe Michael. this is the second time in lost history that we've we've really dealt with i mean i guess third time right because we had hurley asking Jin to pee on his hand we had sawyer getting up in the middle of the night to take a pee in the brig which is what causes Locke to recruit him barefoot mike are you trying to like track how many times people have peed on Locke? i'm not trying (laughs) to track it i just rolls off the top of my mind for whatever reason uh that sounds like you're trying to track it (laughs) (laughs) maybe like maybe subconsciously i'm not i'm not unconvinced that you're trying Well, this is like, listen, as a lifelong Star Trek fan, right? Like one of the biggest questions like, oh, why don't they take time to go to the bathroom? As a 24 fan, Josh, I'm sure you've you've encountered that question once or twice. So far be it from me to ask about the bathroom habits of our loving characters in 815. Yeah, Hurley did have stomach issues once upon a time as all that fruit. Um, Anyway, uh, so Hurley's there. uh, So happy to see Sawyer. And then it's like sort of like the awkward reunion between Jack and Hurley, right? Where he's like, hey, Hurley. Good but I think you, Hurley, dude. yeah, Hurley does with it, uh, deals with it in like a pretty amicable it's way, sweet. though. Right? It's actually a sweet moment. Yeah, because because Hurley doesn't mean it. I think when he says, "Yeah," it's not like a big like, "Oh my god, dude, you're alive! I'm gonna hug you." But I think he realized how much he was over in his head in joining up with Locke. That sort of is like the consensus, right? Of hey, uh, Locke was right that they were coming to the island to kill all of us, but maybe he wasn't the best guy to deal with it. Yeah. And so I think Hurley's like, all right, it's good to see you again, dude. Even though we disagreed at the beginning of season four, I'm happy to see you here. And I changed my mind. I want to leave the island now. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they're going to Jack sees uh, Locke is in the orchid. We're gonna we're gonna get the two of them talking in deeper detail in not terribly long from now. 
First, let's go back to the freighter. And there isn't a ton to talk about in this moment so much as there is this mountain of C4. It's hooked up to all these different things. You could try and jostle one thing or this thing or that thing. But every time you try and jostle it, if it goes wrong, you go boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. Boom, oh, boom, if only, if only they're so close. To just put that L in there one yeah. time, Henry and Cusack. I've yeah. had a ringtone for life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bloom. You try you cut this wire. Bloom. Yeah. <laughs> you track how many times Hurley's pee in Bloom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I do like this. I like this Jin and Desmond pairing. I feel like outside of I feel like outside of uh of season three, we really don't get much between the two of them, but they have a very fun rapport. I'd like Jin filling in the mad libs of Desmond with the final boom before we go to credits. Yes, yes. Uh, I like that quite a bit. So yeah, Jin's following along. Boom. Um so we'll get there. They're trying to figure out a plan for how to deal with the bomb. Uh back at the orchid, John Locke is looking for the way in. It's not working out. He wants to talk to Jack. He wants to talk to just Jack. Just Jack. Just Jack. Uh, Jack's like, yeah, we just came for Hurley. We don't need to talk. And Locke's like, but we haven't had like a really meaningful conversation <laughs> since season two. Yeah, I mean, Jack is just, it really reminds us how at the beginning of season four, he was just over Locke's BS. Yeah. Right? So the point where he tried to shoot and kill him point blank. He's like, I don't even, I want to have another philosophical conversation with you. I have to get off the island at this point. But then Hurley reveals that Ben essentially is where they just came from and that he surrendered himself to Kimi, as we saw at the end of part one, and they went back to the Choppa. Yeah, so like maybe don't run back in that direction. But we get to go back in that direction. And what? I mean, like, uh, I wish we could do like the full play-by-play here. Um, But basically, this is, you know, when you think of this episode as an action movie... It's a big part of why uh, it's Kimi and it's all the, you know, the, the, the jarheads and it's him and it's Ben. I mean, it's it's not really the jarheads because Kimi's going to essentially kill some of the jarheads here in this scene. I, I said it on the discord, but honestly, when I think of Martin Kimi, I think of Kimi and through the looking glass part. I, I keep saying through the looking glass. There's no place like home. Yeah. Part two. Too many uh, TH beginning sounds in these finales because Kimi is off the reservation and then some in this episode. Yeah, he's really he's really lost it, uh, so to speak. And he's like coming after Frank. He doesn't like that Frank has been given this toolbox. Meanwhile, Kimi's the toolbox. And then Kate comes running in. Kimi's like, Kimi's like, who are you? And Kate's like, I'm one of the survivors. I'm being chased by the others. Yeah, uh, I, I, find, I do find it interesting that I guess Kimi was not as well studied on the dossier of 815 as like Miles was and that he doesn't know who Kate Austin is considering that Miles was able to list off like uh, her entire permanent record basically for Kimi to say who the hell are you right. uh, shows maybe that he didn't do his homework besides Benjamin Linus right uh, so uh, she leads the others into into battle basically uh. against Kimi and the mercenaries and it's like you're seeing people like getting like shot up and there's like spray them spray them there's some is there some whisper action here am i there misremembering is. it yeah. no there there are but i and i wonder is that the whisper whispers is this more so like the others just creating mystique by whispering around them like doing almost their own 
ADR, but I love how stealthy mm, the others are. The smoke are. monster and Mystique have some things in common. Exactly, uh, very much shapeshifting. Shapeshifters, yeah. Uh, and they're both played by Rebecca Romaine, I believe. <laughs> uh, but the, the others... <laughs> that killed me. Great, great, The great, others, great. oh, if you think we're talking about, if we're, you think we're going to stop the X-Men talk, just yeah, you wait, there's more yeah, to come. For sure. uh, but the, the others are, like, doing their best Assassin's Creed here. They are stealthy AF taking down these mercs. They're bringing out the old tricks, right? They throw the bolos. They have the shock darts, not the shot darts. Right. The shock darts. I also love so Kate. This is kind of the others like last really great moment. I feel like uh, like the classic others because we'll do some time travel stuff and like we'll see like the the Widmore era others and everything like that. But this is like you know two thousand like the mid two thousands era others. Other than this, like we'll get to the temple. We don't like that. Uh, and then like everyone's just like kind of like following John Locke, the one the leader. Who survive? Yeah. So like, yeah. This is sort of like their last great hurrah, and it's kind of I don't know, uh, like our powers combined type stuff. As they are working alongside our people, it's like something akin to Mia Culpa with uh, with the way things played out at the end of season three. Yeah, it's it's odd because I do wonder maybe in an extended season or a normal length season in this case if we would have had more to do. With these others, again, they just showed up at the end of part one after being absent for all of season four. So it comes a bit out of nowhere, but I agree with you. Much like we did with the first scene here, linking it back to the way season three ends, it's this very fun idea of, okay, we were enemies, but now we have to work together to defend ourselves against a big bad, right? It's very much like Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, but better. I also love the pairing of Ben and Kate here, Ben and Kate plus eight Mercs, because uh, I like the parallel image where as Kate and Ben are sort of like in the grass and Kate tells him to run away. If you notice, Ben has his hands tied and Kate doesn't. And it's a really fun mirroring of how they began season three. Right, yeah. where they're sitting down to breakfast and she is the one who has her hands bound and he doesn't. It shows like a very fun reversal of fortune and how Kate Austin will, I think, always show more kindness to her enemy than Benjamin Linus ever would. Uh, it's such a great moment when uh, there's a few really great moments. Uh, Kimi like kicking the grenade oh, at Kim- Omar. Kimi yeeting the grenade is incredible. It's so crazy. To me. The fact that he just punts <laughs> it like a hacky sack, yeah. kills his own guy, and doesn't blink twice. He kills his number one essentially. He, like, like, effectively, ah, it doesn't his, matter. His best friend, and then he just like goes into it. Uh, he does like the neck crack, which is such an iconic <laughs> thing for Kimi. I feel like. Um, he goes, he runs, he runs after Kate and Ben. Kate and Ben have like a decent head start, but Kimi is just like so fueled by adrenaline that he's like... And Ben does trip and fall. Like, Benjamin Linus, even though he's going to show some beast mode prowess as shown in the intro clip to this podcast, like, he's not exactly a sprinter, so he's going to fall behind, Kate's going to catch up with him, but as soon as Kimi has them in their sights, Saeed to the rescue! Saeed to the rescue, yeah. Great Saeed fight, Saeed versus Kimi. Um, I, 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 think- I, I think I have this in contention, Josh. I wrote this in my notes. This might be, like, between the combatants, the greatest fist fight in the series. Yeah, look, there's a lot of, like, cuts. Uh, like, it cuts around a lot. It's sort of, it, it's like a TV fight. But I think, like, the matchup is so cool. Yeah. The actors are so great. The characters are so great that, like, yeah, like, if you probably really slowed it down to, like, look to see, like, where are the stunt performers, you would see that stuff. You would see the seams. Um, like, that's definitely there. Uh, but it's, it's one of those instances for me where, like, the moment elevates it like i think the moment and what's happening 
elevates the filmmaking of it to yes. me to to a certain extent and like what's actually going down between these two and finally seeing somebody who actually gives Saeed a run for his money like Saeed very nearly doesn't make it if not for Richard Alpert just blasting this guy yeah I love it because like you said Saeed up to this point like hadn't really met his match you could say maybe Mikhail but even then there was a little bit of back and forth but like every time that we think Saeed's able to you know get in a punch on Kimi Kimi comes roaring back you know Saeed stabs Kimi Kimi doesn't flinch he just spits out blood and keeps going it just shows how this man is essentially like an automaton at this point he has essentially transformed into a Terminator to the point where Kimi is again going to soldier on from this stab wound something that's going to take out jack shepherd a couple seasons from now and says screw it before i go i'm just going to choke this man to death with a branch right yeah and and the face that that uh Dur- the kevin duran makes is demonic and maybe it's because he's covered in blood that like the red tinge shows there but just like the pure lack of emotion and pure almost like glee he has in his face as he is slowly choking saeed to death is absolutely haunting and so while saeed came to the rescue much like that famous you know uh meme of people pointing guns at each other's backs it's richard to the rescue now as he shoots kimi and saves saeed's life yeah and then kimi looks really dead yeah i mean listen i'm i would not be surprised if he has done this more than once pretended to be dead uh just so people could leave him alone very convincing um i don't know that i've ever come up with a way that like this is fine uh i mean it's uh, fine in the way that mikhail's fine i guess yeah um yeah i suppose so i suppose it's just got to be that that's fine all right move on i'm not doing it i'm not doing this this episode's amazing i'm not doing it no i I think much more likely i mean if mikhail has army experience i'm sure kimi did as well of like i can look you know i can look dead in this moment then they're just gonna you know glance over top of the list of things to train it's like play dead uh and so he is doing that and then ben thanks richard what was the arrangement uh if they help they could leave the island fair enough have a safe uh, journey back. Kate's so great. He's like, that's it. <laughs> that's we it. can just go. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, helicopter's yours. Have a safe journey back. Yeah. That's it. Like, Ben is like business mode right now. He's like, I got to get back to the orchid and I got to do this thing. Although I'm kind of surprised uh, that Ben, now back with the others, doesn't like whisper to maybe not Richard, but like, I don't know. Uh, let's, let's say guy rando, rando guy, <laughs> rando uh, guy. Yeah. Uh, is like, Hey, so I need you to go to the orchid. <laughs> There's like a frozen doggy wheel. I need you to spin that. Uh, like at this point, like maybe it's like, I'm back with my people. Maybe I should send someone else to go do the thing that I was going to do. That's going to get me cast off from the island forever. I don't know. Maybe to a certain point though, Ben thinks like, where there is a Kimi, even if I keep the island here, there's going to be like five other Kimis to come mm-hmm. at some point in time. So maybe at this point, the goat or the rabbit has been given up and that Ben realizes, OK, no matter what, Winmore has found the island where it currently is. I, I think it's got to be moved and I have to be the one to do it. Right. Um, all right. So that's what's going on there. Really incredible scene. Uh, just like such a fun sequence. That's so really, good. really, really, really great. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, one of the, one of the things, one of the many things that's really, really memorable about this finale, uh, maybe a little less memorable, but still a really great scene, uh, is at Santa Rosa, uh, flashing mm. forward. Uh, Hurley's just, you know, hanging around and Michael's he's eating, mom. Uh, he's, eating a, he's eating a fruit roll up, uh, oh. which 
It has the words uh, Molly Fisher on it, which apparently is the name of like a mysterious enigmatic rock in Connecticut that is near a body of water known as the Hatch Pond. How about that? Very, very good. Uh, Mike, as a as a father of a young child, do you uh, keep a healthy supply of fruit roll ups on hand? No, he's not at the age yet. Though as a child of the '90s, I certainly do. Uh, what was your method when it came to eating fruit roll-ups? Like, were you it pure? Would depend. It would depend. Yeah, um, because like, I, I know there there are some that would be pure chaotic evil and just like bunch it all into a ball and throw yeah, it in your mouth. Yeah, sometimes I would do that uh, because the chew would be really great. Oh my god, that chew, and then you just get that like fruit juice, and it's oh yeah, uh, great stuff. But I think often what I would like to do is I would like kind of like. Um, like roll it into sort of like pretzel rod shape, mm. almost like a uh, like a like a Twizzler. Oh, interesting! And so you like almost turned that way. So you unrolled it and then rolled it back up, essentially. Yeah, right, right, right. I always liked it to be uh, a little thick on the fruit roll up. <laughs> yeah, your your fruit roll up is desired to be thick with yeah, two C's. A, yeah, I like the two C's to my to the thickness yeah. of my fruit See, roll up. See, I was a section guy, especially when they started rolling out the fruit roll ups that like were divided into yeah. sections. I was very orderly. I was like, "All right, let's peel this section off" cuz I also wanted to savor it. You know, the, these things, you, especially as a kid, when you're really sort of, I don't know, staring in front of you at the latest distraction, you don't necessarily concentrate on what's in front of you. I wanted those moments to last. And much like I look back now and wanting those moments to last even longer, you know, I want to peel yeah. back those sections of my childhood and savor them as long as possible. I didn't do that. <laughs> you I just, didn't do that. You literally re-rolled them into your childhood yeah, into a yeah. stogie and crunched on it. Yeah, I would, what I would do would probably be like I would crush like three to four fruit roll-ups. And so that explains a lot, to be honest. I, do, I, think, you could, I think it's a good psychological experiment. I'm not a child psychologist, but I feel like if you put a fruit roll-up and or a fruit by the foot... Yeah, I think if you put a fruit roll-up and or a fruit by the foot in front of a child and be like, eat it however you want to, that can say much more about a child than anything they're saying. Yeah, uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> Michael's mom is here. Are you dangerous? She asks. Because uh, Walt is here, and he want she wants to make sure that uh, Hurley's not going to do anything nutty. So it's your obligatory "Here's Walt" moment. Um, a little bit frustrating because, like, it's so clear, it's so clear that they want him back, and he's in yeah. position to get to Jira. And oh my god, oh. I wish it had worked out. Uh, but anyway, regardless, why don't we listen in sound number two? Walt and Hurley talking. At Santa Rosa. Hey, Walt. Hey, Harley. Getting big, dude. You know, when you came back, I was waiting for one of you to come see me, but nobody did. Sorry. Do you know who did come see me? Jeremy Bentham. I don't understand why you're all lying. everyone that didn't come back 
like my dad. Like your dad? Yeah. Josh, was it kind of a jerk move for none of the Oceanic Six to visit Walt? Um, yeah, I mean, they probably were like, maybe they didn't know. Did all of them know that uh, that Michael had come back? Well, like, I think I think they assumed that he had left. But let's all. I mean, we can also remember that they took on pseudonyms, right? Ben forced them to. So unless they knew what their pseudonyms were, which they left Ben behind, so they wouldn't exactly know that information. I can understand why they maybe wouldn't be able to find him. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I also kind of feel like, uh, yeah, like Locke goes and sees him. Ah, he, Jeremy Bentham. Yeah, Jeremy Bentham saw me and I'm twitching a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> nope, I still love it. I still love it. Still love it. It's still, still good. Well, I think the the show wants you to really like buy into it, right? Because the music turns from very warm of, oh, here's Hurley and Walt to like, all of a sudden a bit dramatic and suspenseful when Jeremy Bentham's name gets invoked. And it definitely feels like a turn in the conversation as well, uh, where we also get a reveal here. Though I guess, you know, Michael always went to the island never intending to come back, but Walt outright confirms here, like, no, Michael's going to die in this episode. Yeah. Uh, he didn't get... He, they're lying because it's the only way to protect everyone. Like my dad, right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Hurley looks so sad. When he's, I'm, I guess, you know, Hurley never saw Michael, right? Because he yeah, never touched down but, upon the freighter. Sure, but Desmond comes back with him, and so does Saeed. And, and, so, and, like, and Son as well, who saw and him. They've, and they've got a full week of, like, time to, like, decompress and talk through the lie and everything before they have to, like, get on that eight-hour raft journey uh, to, to civilization. So, like, it comes up. It comes up. Michael was on there. He's dead now. And Jack's probably like, good. <laughs> Uh, he was my never, friend and he betrayed me exactly uh but hurley i think again hurley's like one of the bleeding hearts of the group so i think he does despite michael's betrayal i mean hurley was there for michael's betrayal i do think he genuinely feels bad when he has to like confront michael's son and basically say yeah your dad died uh sorry about that he's never coming back yeah and i think also so like uh like Kate can't seek out Walt because she's got to stay in California legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, son returns to South Korea. She's got uh, she's got her own demons to slay. Saeed is uh, wrapped up with Nadia. Um, like maybe it could have been Jack uh, could have done something here. Maybe that could have been I, something I, that he could have explored. Well, it is interesting because if Jack is trying to perpetuate the lie to the fact that it is driving him into this pill induced state. You would think that Walt might be one of the loose ends to tie up, right? Yeah. Like they, or, they could put out a story and Walt would be like, uh, no, sorry, uh, that didn't happen. I am also one of the survivors of Oceanic 815. Again, at this point, he had also been sort of conditioned by Ben to lie about his own identity right. for his own sake. But I do think that if Jack's plan is like, let's make sure our story is airtight, this is maybe the one hole in it correct uh and so like i i get that uh to an extent like i i get the idea maybe that like jack doesn't want to go to walt because he doesn't like want to risk it you know because the the lie is so fragile that there's an argument where like he should have gone and talked him through and gotten him on board um i mean look they also all made so much money and they don't reach out to walt to like hook him up as well that actually is total bullshit 
Yeah, again, like Sun That's has money really, and really then some, and she's rolling in it at this point. Uh, you know, Hurley especially. Why is it, why didn't Hurley give any of this money to Walt? Well, uh, so Hurley is obviously unwell, and he checks himself in, seeking help. Um, but beyond that, this was the other thing that I was thinking about is like, it might be hard for Hurley to go and talk to Walt, considering what Walt's father did, uh, and how mm. that connects to Hurley. Like, maybe like, in confronting Walt, he's going to feel like he's confronting. He has to like revisit what happened to Libby, and he doesn't want to do that. Here's a question: We're going to talk later about apparently Hurley playing chess with Mister Echo. Do you think Ghost Libby visited Hurley at all? Uh, yeah, right. I, I have to feel like he did, right? Like he barely interacted with Mister Echo, and he's playing freaking board games with him. I'd like to imagine that Libby comes in a couple of times to be like. Hey, how you doing? And then maybe, I don't know, maybe Lost didn't want to explore like a whole ghost situation, the movie, not oh, the concept. Oh, Yeah, like, I would oh, love to God, see this guy's in a mental institution. He's making pottery, feeling like someone else is there with him. Yeah, I wish that that had happened. I would have loved to have seen uh, Libby and Hurley just like throwing the wheel around. That could have been good. The, <laughs> ditto, the, dude. Yeah, the ditto, dude. Yeah, the ceramic donkey wheel. <laughs> The frozen exactly. pottery wheel. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to imagine. Like again, I know that Hurley's going to find. I think is his own happy ending later on. But it would have been nice for him to get at least some closure with Libby, even if it's just like she shows up one final time, and he's like, you know, you know how much I cared about you, and she's like, I cared about you too, and then that's yeah. sort of how they end things. It would. It would. That I'm assuming that would have happened at some point. Yeah. Um. So you know, Walt's coming to check in on everyone. Like, why didn't you guys ever come to me? And the timing is such that like. You've got Walt here in Los Angeles. Theoretically, he should be able to come on a Jira, and they don't do this. Yeah. Well, how long after this conversation do you think Saeed busts Hurley out? Um, not long, I would guess. Not yeah, long because the time you, frame of, of like the season five mainland events is probably it's not a, a, a long amount of time, is it? No, I don't think so. But I also think. Uh, I, I think that there's probably like the practical consideration um, that maybe uh, the actor has like, he's not, uh, he's not a kid anymore. His life has changed. He's not mm. been on the show for a while. Maybe they're not able to like reach an agreement to get him to come back. Uh, like you would really have to uproot your life at that young of an age to come back at a full-time capacity. Um, so like to have him come back through Ajira would be a pretty hefty commitment unless like you just like get him on the flight, you get him on the plane, the plane does its crazy like blinky stuff in the air. Some people go back to the seventies, some people don't and just make it to Hydra Island. And then maybe Walt could have just been sort of like this enigma of like, where is he? And then you could like bring him back in at some mm. point in the final season. Maybe that was the way that they could have done this. Um, yeah. I don't know. Or maybe you do something where he lands back in the 70s and like the hostiles kill him or something. Oh my God, Mike. Why? <laughs> I don't know. It could be like a big thing of like, oh my God, no! things are intense now. 
No way! Don't do that to Walt. Well, listen, I think, Walt. I think Walt has a, a very interesting epilogue in The New Man in Charge. So I do wonder as well, like, is there anything that you can use to flesh that out? Or is it just, okay, to get that ending, we have to settle for losing Walt from coming back to the island with everybody else? Coming back. Um, all right. Well, it's nice to see you, Walt. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again at some point in time. Um, all right. Back at the Orchid. Hurley and Sawyer, they're going to let Jack and Locke have a Jack and Locke talk. Meanwhile, Hurley's eating crackers. They're good. I, apparently, I mean, uh, despite Ben commenting on how old they are, even Sawyer gets past his delicate taste buds, how good they are. Yeah, and we know that. We know that about Sawyer that he doesn't. Maybe that's what gives him the strength. The Lambus bread theory. This <laughs> yeah! is what gives him the strength to jump uh, off can, the I helicopter can, can, and swim don't back. Don't worry, I'll swim back. I had a couple of those crackers and but I feel like really, I could run a marathon. Really, really tasty. All right. Well, let's get into the conversation with Locke and Jack. It's been a minute since they've had one of these. It's a big one. It's obviously going to be really informative for Jack moving forward. Let's listen in sound three. What did you want to talk to me about, John? I want you to reconsider leaving the island, Jack. I would like you to stay. You'd like me to stay. That's right. You threw a knife into the back of an unarmed woman. You led half of our people across the island and got most of them killed. Well, Jack, you put a gun to my head and you pulled the trigger. I was hoping we could let bygones be bygones. I'll tell you what. You stay here in your little greenhouse. But the rest of us are going home. But you're not supposed to go home. What am I supposed to do? Well, I think I remember. What was it that you said on the way out to the hatch? That... Crashing here was our destiny. You know, Jack. You know that you're here for a reason. You know it. And if you leave this place, that knowledge is going to eat you alive from the inside out. Until you decide to come back. Goodbye, John. You're going to have to lie. Excuse me? You have to go, then you have to lie about everything. Everything that happened since we got to the island. It's the only way to protect it. It's an island, John. No one needs to protect it. It's not an island. It's a place where miracles happen. And, and if, you, if you don't believe that, Jack, if you can't believe that, just wait till you see what I'm about to do. There's no such thing as miracles. Well, we'll just have to see which one of us is right. Am I interrupting? Nice to see you too, Jack. Couldn't find the Anthuriums, could you? I don't know what they look like. What are you doing? Didn't you tell him? I tried. Said and Kate are waiting for you at the helicopter. 
I understand that your people from the beach are being brought to the freighter even as we speak. What? I'd love to fill you in on everything you missed, Jack, but you, Hugo James, you need to get moving. If I were you, I'd want to be on that boat within the hour. Goodbye, Jack. Let's go. Lie to them, Jack. If you do it half as well as you lie to yourself, they'll believe you. I mean, let me put this question out there, Josh. Is this the most important conversation that Jack Shepard and John Locke will ever have? Uh, I still think it's probably the first one. The the one from White Rabbit? Yeah, I think like that's so foundational to the whole show for me. Um, but this is this is a big one for sure. You know, like when Ben comes back and then Locke sort of just like goes off with Ben uh and he just like reiterates it uh like he underlines it in a way where he no longer has time to sort of like pacify jack's delicate sensibilities and he just says lie to them if you're if you if you lie half as good as you lie to yourself it's not going to be a problem uh, i love it. He's one like, final burn in before he leaves <laughs> you know like that's that's great and i think that that does wedge its way into into jack's head uh for for a minute but i think like this this is probably i mean this is like the most important conversation between jack and Locke for jack i don't know about for the show because i think that first one that first one has reverberations throughout the entire show i think what causes mm -hmm. jack shepherd to become the leader from then on out well not even that but i think also just like towards the thematics of the show to have that so early on i think is vital and we don't get a conversation like this if we don't have the white rabbit conversation. But I think for Jack and where he ends up going, um, where he's just like so stubbornly set on getting out of here and just like tunnel vision, that's all he's going to do. And Locke is going to say, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to go home. All of us got brought here for a reason and we're supposed to see this through. And Jack's just like, nope, I'm noping out of here quickly. I'm not dealing with this anymore. And Locke being like, fine, then you're going to have to do something else that you don't want to do. And that's why, because if you don't, then people are going to come here with guns and kill those of us who've stayed. And is that what you want either? And so like, it is an important conversation in that this is, uh, you know, certainly through death is, is sort of how Locke speaks to Jack the most clearly, I think mm -hmm. like in his death, uh, like that sort of like accentuates everything that Jack was already starting to think, but like Jack doesn't start getting to the place of like the second guessing of himself. If not for Locke, sort of like pushing him down this, this little rabbit hole of thought. I really love this conversation because this is Locke telling Jack, like you're going to become me. Essentially. It's so much fun watching this conversation, knowing what's going to happen to Jack, because essentially what he's saying here and what Locke is saying, he's essentially going to become saying, uh, if you leave this place, you know, that knowledge is going to eat you alive from the inside out until you decide to come back. Look at the end of season three slash the beginning of this episode. Jack insisting it's an island, John. No one needs to protect it. Look at season six, where he's literally going to become protector of the island uh, or even later on in this episode. I mean, I do think the island disappearing is a pretty forgotten seminal moment for Jack, right? Where John Locke essentially tells him, like, 
hey, look what I'm going to do. You know, you don't think this place can do miracles? I'm about to make a freaking island move. And Jack is just so hesitant and uh, rejecting of the entire premise. But I wonder if after that happens, he actually realizes that this place is possibly more special than he may think. But obviously, I think the the biggest effect that this has is that, as we talked about, Locke tells Jack, you're going to have to lie. Jack ardently refuses that notion until the end of the episode when he realizes that Locke was right in the moment. It's a small stepping stone to Jack ultimately becoming that Locke role over the course of the latter half of the series. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really, really fascinating. It's really compelling stuff. And it, it, it does uh, it does underscore again for me. And we talked about this a while ago uh, that like you get towards the end of season two and that's such a John and Jack heavy season. And it actually does do a lot of work for us in that regard. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because they are mostly out of each other's orbits in season three. They are mostly out of each other's orbits in season four. They are mostly going to be out of each other's orbits in season five. Yeah, this, this, is, one of the, this is one of the last conversations, right? So this and then when he, Jeremy Bentham, quote unquote, goes to find Jack, that's, this is the penultimate that's, conversation be the, between yeah, these two guys. That'll be the final conversation. And then in season six, like you're getting um, Matthew Fox and Terry O'Quinn in scenes together, but it's not quite the same. It's going to be... You know, I think I think in a lot of ways, like you think of Jack and Locke as such a central relationship to the show, and it definitely is. Uh, it is the man of science, man of faith thing. But I think something that's sort of like uh, metatextually interesting about it is that this conversation that the man of science has with the man of faith often is with someone who's not physically there. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's often like he is like having this spiritual debate against somebody who is not even like bothering to physically show up. Uh, you know, not bothering is probably too harsh, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I think like he's not there. Uh, he is like this guy who's like insisting on none of this matters. None of it's real. Uh, I believe in what I can see. Uh, you're crazy to have faith in this place that he's having this conversation in a way that um, is, is, is so like you know like old man shakes fist at cloud like (laughs) or smoke monster he's not here to hear it yeah and what i really love about this that pains me as well is when Locke says we'll just have to wait and see which one of us is right because Locke is ultimately right but when they wait and see he's not gonna see that Right. Again, this is the penultimate conversation these two guys are going to have. Jack is going to say, basically, in the series finale, that John Locke was right in what he's telling him in this conversation. But Locke is not actually around to find that out. Even though Locke has the surety that he's right in this moment, he is not going to fulfill that promise that he makes in this statement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he does see it. He sees it from the great beyond, Mike. I suppose so, in a, in a manner of speaking. But as you said, speaking. Ben sort of breaks up the intense conversation for a second. I do like this sort of aside of Locke being like, I don't know where the Inthuriums are. She just remembered the flowers <laughs> that were in the field when Mr. Echo uh, got killed. But basically, Ben does a similar thing that he did with Kate and Saeed, to your point. He's basically like, Jack, Hurley, Sawyer, well, you better get off to the helicopter. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, all right. At the freighter. Um, Son and Michael are going to touch. like, so how's it going down there? He's like, it's not great. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is the last time I will ever see fresh air. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, and you know what? And this is another tough thing as well. Again, since we have this other sort of ticking time bomb that we know that Jin is not one of the Oceanic Six. Every time you hear things like Michael promising he'll send Jin upstairs or Kate promising that she'll go get Jin, it just keeps sticking needles in your heart of like, but they won't. It won't happen. He won't, won't make it off the freighter. Well, he technically does, but like not with the chopper. Not with the chopper. Uh, she tells him she's pregnant. I love, love, love Harold Perrineau here. Congrats, son. That's great. Yeah, Harold it's Perrineau, a really sweet moment. despite the awkwardness of the Jin Sun Michael stuff in season one, Michael is like very chill with both of them between this and we'll talk about the clip later where he's like, Jin, get out of here. You're a dad now. There are more important things in life right now than, you know, playing buddy cop with me trying to defuse the bomb. Like, despite all the awkwardness that came before them, maybe just Michael, because Michael is, is almost at closure with life at this point, he's sort of not necessarily letting bygones be bygones, but I think forgetting some of the uh, the baggage that came in the past with the Quans and is just saying like, that's great. I'm really happy for you. It really does change your life. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a sweet moment. Then he brings in the liquid nitch. We're going to freeze this thing. Yeah. Or we're just going to have some uh, nice gastropub food while we wait <laughs> out what to do. What? <laughs> gastropub food? Oh, like a Richard Blaze yeah, thing? Yeah. Imagine what if Richard Blaze was the chef on the, on the Kahana. <laughs> so dumb. So dumb. Uh, so they're just going to, we're going to freeze the bomb while we figure it out. Hopefully that works, but we yeah, only like have a, so much of this. I mean, we knew that Michael was proficient in construction, but who knew he watched a lot of Mr. Wizard to know like, okay, a battery uses a chemical a reaction. Surprise. Like he built the raft. He's a really clever guy. He never got a Fair shake. Never got yeah, a fair but shake. But basically, he says because the battery uses a t- chemical reaction to activate, if we freeze the battery, that'll prevent the chemical reaction enough for us to hopefully have the time to defuse the bomb. Because basically, everything's fine right now because Kimmy's alive. But they figure if the you know it activates at any time, they gotta find some fail safes to to try to you know give themselves a couple of seconds of time. And this is the only current fail safe they have, even though poor blaze has used basically all of the the liquid nitrogen and they're only down to like half a tank <laughs> damn it richard uh, not albert um all right back at the beach daniel faraday returns uh from taking one wave he's like i need like a pee break if you can give me 10 minutes uh, all right let me let me put it on the tally sheet <laughs> yeah so he goes and he tells miles and charlotte who are by the kitchen rose is admonishing miles for eating the peanuts Good. rose understands that miles is the lvp of this season so yeah far. who's who said you could eat those i don't know uh so faraday's like hey miles charlotte you guys have to be on the next raft with me and miles like no i'm gonna stick around and yeah. daniel's like I don't know if the severity of the situation is really crossing your plate, but it's really bad right now. So we know we'll talk about the Charlotte stuff. Why do you think Miles stays behind? Do you think there's some part of him that knows that his like he's connected to the island as well? And that's why he wants to stay. Or is it just like, I don't have my three point two million dollars. I'm bored. Yeah, Um, I don't know. I think for Miles, Miles knows who his dad is. Right. I mean, like, I, I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean, certainly when he gets to the 70s, he's going to, you know, yeah, recognize yeah, his he'll, father. He'll find that out. But I don't know if he knows that, like, because he was a baby when he was taken from the island. And so I don't believe that he was ever told that he, unlike Charlotte, that like he is linked to the island. There is a, a very for sure answer to this. Um, just going through the quick week Wikipedia dive. Uh, Miles does not know his father, only being told by his mother that he is dead. 
did not care about them when he was alive, forcing them to leave him uh, when Miles was a baby. Miles resents his father for never having been around and also has disdain for other fathers who mistreat their children. Well, welcome um, to Lost, Miles. Uh, yeah, so I'm not sure. Um, oh, so Bram. Oh, remember Bram? We'll get oh, to him God, next season. Oh, God, we're, we're going to get into Bram <laughs> soon enough. Yeah, Bram's coming next season. Bram claims to know about Miles' father and the source of Miles' superpowers and warns Miles not to go on this mission and instead to join him uh, and the, the Widmore Brigade. And that's um, where the, so, that's where the, uh, the 2.3 or $3.2 million comes from, I believe. Yeah, so I, I think then, um, well, he's hired for, yeah, he's hired for $1.6 million, so he wants to double it. Uh, is why he wants the 3.2, I guess. Uh, so yeah, so I think Miles is at least passingly aware that he is like connected to the island. I don't know. We'll have to get there. Sorry, my memory for Miles is actually relatively no, thin. I, some, some Like It Hoth is a weird episode. It's one of the only like flashback episodes uh, that's sort of I think it's, I think it's in. a fun one, actually, but like I just like I don't have like instant recall on, on some of that stuff. But, but at the moment, at least Miles is either feeling something, I don't know, maybe with him sensing the dead people on the island, he's like, oh, this is a cool place. I want to check it out some more. But uh, Miles is going to imply that while maybe he doesn't know why he's connected to the island he knows why charlotte is which is interesting yes what do uh, i mean what do i mean um i wonder if it's because he's like he has sensed her dead body because theoretically theoretically charlotte's body should be uh uh discoverable here <laughs> on the island at this point because she dies back in time and whatever yeah. happened happened and her body is still going to be here no yeah, I would imagine so. It's not like when she appears, it creates a paradox and her past body disappears. Maybe that's the thing. He hears Charlotte's voice. and He's like, well, I know you're staying here because you have to stay here. So you die at some point. Wonder. You got to wonder. Uh, all right. Back at the Orchid. Uh, this elevator goes real deep. 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 How deep does it go? Very deep. Uh, ben and Locke get there. Uh, Locke's like, is this the magic box? Like, No! Ben, I told it's you a, it was a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Please, John, uh, stop taking things at, at surface value here. But I also like Ben sort of like uh, shuffing off the Dharma initiative, being like, oh, like all Dharma stations, the Orchid's just here for stupid, silly experiments. Yeah, stupid science stuff. Uh, and so he says, how about you watch this video while I take care of business? And he just starts putting all this metal shit into effectively a <laughs> microwave while Locke's like, isn't that like the thing you're not supposed to do? Uh, so, uh, let's, let's listen in at this point. It's time, uh, to get one of our final orientation sessions, uh, of all of Lost. Sound number four. Hello, I'm Dr. Edgar Hallowax. This is the orientation film for Station 6 of the Dharma Initiative. As you've no doubt surmised, Station 6, or the Orchid, is not a botanical research unit. The unique properties of this island have created a kind of Casimir effect, allowing the Dharma Initiative to conduct unique experiments in both space and time. This is the vault constructed adjacent to a pocket of what we believe to be negatively charged exotic matter. Great care must be taken 
to avoid leaving inorganic materials inside the chamber. The electromagnetic energy within the island can be highly volatile and unpredictable. Now, for your own safety and the safety of those around you, metallic objects must never be placed within the vault. In our first demonstration, we will attempt to shift the test subject 100 milliseconds ahead in four-dimensional space. For the briefest of moments, the animal will seem to disappear. But in reality... Yeah, so yeah, yeah. this yeah. this is a, a big thing. I know that Bob Hasty has been sending emails about this to us since like the beginning of January. How this video was played at San Diego Comic Con mm-hmm. the previous year, and so it had really started to you know get the wheels a turning, the donkey wheels a turning with the lost fandom as to oh my god, are they going to be dealing with time travel? Right. Uh, what is this orchid station? So I can imagine those who were really tuned into the vein when they heard they were going to the orchid and they remember the video, they knew what move the island meant in a certain manner of speaking. Yeah, it's cool. It, you know, gives them something to aim for. Um, and it is another great, uh, a great uh, look at uh, Monsieur Halloax, uh, or I suppose we, we should call him Monsieur Chang, uh, yes, or Muncher Candle. Yes, uh, but yeah, it's not. I know this looks like a like a botanical research station. It's not. This is the time travel station. Don't put metal inside the chamber, as Ben is putting metal inside the chamber. It's just a rule breaker that Benjamin lands at this point. You know what? He's just so embittered that Jacob has left him behind. He's like, I'm going to break all the rules now. You say don't walk on the grass. Well, I'm treading on him, baby. Yeah. Uh, I love on the other side of this scene where Locke's like, was he talking about what I think he was? Oh, if you mean time traveling bunnies, yes. <laughs> we should also mention the fact that the tape does rewind on its own. Why do you think that is? Is that like the weird electromagnetic? Because I believe that that tapes utilize that sort of uh, magnetic properties when playing the video. Is it just that it like uh, kinetically rewound the tape on its own? Yeah, I think or maybe it's just a very short tape. Or maybe they were trying to build in some trickery and they were like, oh, in the editing room for like making the orientation videos, like, wouldn't it be really funny if we purposely put in the effect of rewinding time here just to really futz with people? Yeah, I mean, it would be really funny. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, I don't know. What's the, who's the in-house editing staff working on these orientation movies? I mean, we're going to talk about one as soon as the first scene of next season. Mm. Uh, but I do wonder, like, did they hire videographers to do it? Is this like a... You know, is is this like a, a Mink, uh, not to say Minkowski, a Radzinski type of job? Yeah, I think that Radzinski got busted down to like doing all this grunt work. So it would make sense that this was like a Radzinski, like, hold the camera. Yeah, exactly. Like, all right, Damn it. Uh, do star wipe to the bunny in the, in the <laughs> booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So the door closes. The elevator starts to go back up, uh, which suggests that somebody has arrived at the orchid ben would like his uh his uh his baton back if <laughs> may he could i have get my weapon back. back yeah um all right by the helicopter kate's trying to work on frank's handcuffs uh hurley and sawyer and jack 
show up. Um, there's some small talk between Sawyer and Kate about everything that just went yeah. out here. I mean, there's a lot of banter, which considering that it's going to be a while before these two come back together, you you, you got to cherish the, the skate stuff right now. But of course, Sawyer gets a nickname for his new friend, right? Frank is... Kenny Rogers and Sawyer does, uh, despite the the poking at Frank, is able to bust him out of the handcuffs, season two gin style with the hacksaw. But it's happening, Josh. Some combination of the Oceanic Six plus Sawyer are leaving the island. All right, all right. Well, one of these things is not like the others. Hmm. We'll have to. Well, none of them are the the others right now. Yeah, I guess not. Um. All right. Back at the freighter. Um, they're still working on freezing the bomb. Desmond thinks he's figured out how to do it. Um, uh, but it's not quite working. And Michael is running really, really low on the nitrogen. Uh, and if they aren't able to defuse this thing, then they're going to want to get everybody off the boat. ASAP because it's yeah, about to get real bad. It's a fun little climactic moment, right? Of like everyone looking to get people off the boat while you have this chopper getting people onto the boat. And that being said, it's a really nice butting up against the end of that previous scene when everyone's taking off where nearly everyone is elated, right? Like Kate like almost exhales, closing her eyes. This is a character who really values her freedom because she has so little of it. And I think right. in this moment, she truly does feel free. Sawyer's the one who, ironically enough, is going to say, I've seen enough of this rock. The only person who really doesn't have like a, a breath of uh, of exultation to let out is Saeed. And I don't know if that's because Saeed feels it's like business as usual. I've done this before. If it, or if it's Saeed knowing that the freighter that they're going back to is not exactly the most friendly environment. Right. Mr. Friendly environment. Um yeah, it's about to get very, very bad. Um, and one of the reasons has nothing to do with the freighter except for the the soldiers who were on the freighter who shot bullets into the helicopter. And now we are leaking fuel. Um, and it's going to lead to one of the single most iconic moments uh, for James Sawyer Ford as a character, if not in all of Lost. Uh Let's do it, Mike. Let's jump on in. Sound Uh. number five. What's the matter? We're losing fuel. What? We're losing fuel. Look outside. Tell me if you see anything.
right. moment it feels as heavy as a few hundred pounds josh yeah you know he he hops right in uh he just goes straight down into the thing uh bon voyage there goes james sawyer ford uh his huge hero moment right you know yeah i mean it's it's it really is a culmination up to that point of as we've been talking about the real gradual building him up as the sacrificial leader throughout seasons three and four i really do think this is this is a defining moment for the character because again this is mr every man for himself he just sacrificed his own attempt to leave the island in this moment he'll get another opportunity later on but in this moment he saw a way to get off the island finally it's something he was wanting to do since the very end of season one and he chose to make the sacrifice play to leave himself behind to make these other people soldier forward it is a big Big moment for Sawyer on top of the whisper that he that he gives off to Kate there, which we'll find out more in season five. I can't remember if at the time people were able to discern it, but I do believe after the fact, like they were able to enhance the dialogue and Sawyer whispers something like, I have a daughter in Alabama. You need to find her. Tell her I'm sorry. So it's clear that while Sawyer does not leave the island here, his presence definitely does, as we've already spoken about with something nice back home. This is, uh, if, if Sawyer is the Han Solo of Lost, this is his frozen in carbonite moment. <laughs> uh, just do it, Freckles. I know. Yeah, you know, like, just do it, Freckles is sort of the I know of the moment. Uh, but it, they do get that, like, one final kiss in. And it's, like, sort of this, it's this really powerful moment of him not just, like, sacrificing himself for his friends and hoping, like, to see the people that he does genuinely care about. You know, a roster that, of course, includes Kate, but also includes Hurley. I think those are the two Mm -hmm. who are uh, foremost of mine. Like, he and, like, Saeed have found, like, their way into, like, seeing eye to eye for the most part. You know, he has called Jack the closest thing. They were working together against Juliet at the end of season three, right? You know, he said, like, Jack is the closest thing he has to a friend before. Uh, He probably thinks Chesty's kind of cool. So, like, he's he's not going to, like... He's not going to get into a situation where Hurley and Kate, at least, uh, are uh, jeopardized at all. So he he will make the jump. He will he will make the leap of faith. Uh, and it is it is a really powerful moment where we've been tracking this for a couple of episodes now, a few episodes now. Of like Sawyer is sort of like exhaustively doing the right thing. Like mm-hmm. Sawyer is exhaustively 
acting uh, selflessly. It is so different from who he is at the start of the show. And this moment where he just like has sort of like his lost in translation whisper. Um, and I guess, you know, uh, th- there were some moments where I was like, uh, how did they know that he survived? They do linger in a way where they make it clear that like they see him pop up out of the water and start swimming. So I think that they make it pretty clear that like they see him survive that, but then it's like the Island blinking out of existence. Like, I don't know why they don't all just think like they all got like nuclearly incinerated. (laughs) Exactly. Like an A bomb went (laughs) off and just completely leveled the island. But on the other side of that, there's no reason for Sawyer to believe that the Oceanic Six are alive, right? That right. the people that he left behind lived because all he sees is smoking wreckage in the distance, which is very much going to inform who he is and who he becomes in this three-year period. It's, it's an incredible character moment, and Evangeline Lilly plays it really well, too, where, like, she is in shock. There's a tear pouring down her cheek that I think, despite a lot of like the odd complications of the relationship between Kate and Sawyer, specifically in seasons three and four, she cares about him deathly so. And so to see him do what he did, she is just filled with so much sadness. And now she's also found out the man that she told once upon a time, like, why do you want to leave? You have nothing to go back to. He now tells her that he has a daughter that has to hit her pretty hard as well. Yeah. That I really cared about this guy. I knew nothing about him. He has a daughter and he's able to actually do these types of things. Yeah. Uh, so he's a hero. He, he really is. a hero. He the really Oceanic is. The Oceanic Six would not have made it off the island without Sawyer. It, yeah. is, it is a fact. A hundred percent. Like, you know, he may as well just like have like lifted up the helicopter and thrown it off the island and landed on the freighter. He got them that far. You know, if not for his sacrifice, the chopper goes down and maybe they're still able to live because they've got the uh, the raft on there. Right. But Desmond dies mm-hmm. and son dies and Aaron dies. Uh, so he saved those lives at the very least. And Jin maybe dies as well because Jin maybe doesn't get sent topside to to go i mean yeah jim dies uh probably yeah. too unless he's able to like save son and aaron when he goes up there but it doesn't seem like he has a lot of agency in his survival it seems like he kind of gets uh you know like uh like backdraft like thrown off in the explosion onto a piece of shrapnel yeah, yeah. i don't i don't think uh he's Titanic necessarily style. doing like the end of season one like oh i'm going to dive in the water uh, right. i think it's more so like the explosion just like shakes Knocks everything and he, yeah. he gets thrown off so and- if if sawyer doesn't if sawyer doesn't hop off here the helicopter doesn't make it back to the freighter and the freighter doesn't pick up sun and aaron and desmond they're dead so sawyer actively saves lives here like if the chopper goes down here and they wind up on uh like the boat Maybe they uh, they wind up, uh, you know, crossing paths with Penny, uh, you know, Jack and Kate and Frank and Saeed and Hurley. But oh, that we, would be gutting, though, if she's like, hey, do you have Desmond with you? And they're yeah. like, but, they, but then they lose two of the Oceanic Six plus Desmond. So if not for what Sawyer does here, people die, including uh, a baby, the baby, including that a he child, was, the, the one that he was protecting after his his mother abandoned him. Yeah. So. Uh, it's pretty good, Sawyer. It's honestly pretty great. Yeah, I mean, this this is, I think, the biggest thing that he does. And like we said, it, it didn't come out of nowhere. I think it is really just a nice amassing of all of these smaller moments that we have pointed out over the really since the events of, of the long con 
I think seasons three and four in particular was sort of building up the Sawyer here. And we still have some, some stuff to go, right? He has not become full LaFleur yet where he is leading these people in the wake of John Locke leaving them. But this is one giant leap for lack of a better term of him essentially saying like, I care about these people enough that despite me coming across as the selfish a-hole in the first eight episodes of the season and then some, I'm going to make the move here to deny myself the freedom of leaving the island to protect them all. Um, okay, so good for you, Sawyer. You're you're the man. Great stuff from James Sawyer Ford. Meanwhile, back at the beach, uh, Charlotte's going to tell Dan, I'm going to stay. Uh, I'm not supposed to have chocolate. Yeah, uh, she's gonna say she's gonna say for now anyway. But Freddie's like, well, I mean, that could be forever. Yeah, that might actually be forever. Don't and worry, goes, I'll be, I'll be right back, so we can sa- hang and out. She says nothing is forever except diamonds, and then the song plays. <laughs> well, she does uh, kind of look like Nicole Kidman, right? So she might do a Moulin Rouge takeoff. Uh, so she's gonna stick around. She's looking for. Wh- would it make any sense if I told you I'm still looking for where I was born? And he goes. No, <laughs> I love that. I just love Faraday's matter of fact, like absolutely not. But I say a lot of things that don't make sense to other people. So yeah, I are... don't actually think it would make any sense. Uh, uh, in the loss on location, Damon Lindelof says a very interesting thing that outside of the Oceanic Six, he wanted to give everyone else each a moment where they declare that they are going to stay, whether temporarily or permanently. And we see that in this scene, right? We saw Miles say it beforehand. Charlotte says it here. And even Juliet is going to say in this moment, I'm going to stay behind uh, because like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get the last boat essentially. But in a manner of speaking, just due to the way that, that events end up falling out, she's essentially saying that she's going to stay on the Island. So I do find it interesting the way that we talk so much about how incredible there's no place like home is able to get the oceanic six to where they are. But I do like that. He's also seated throughout this idea of, okay, we're also going to talk about why and how all these other people stay behind on the island. Yes. Um, so that's uh, that's what's going on here with that final boat trip. Juliet's deciding to stay, and pretty soon she's going to get Schlitz. I'll stay. I'll stay. I also like to live dangerously. Juliet uh, Danger Burke. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's go back to the orchid then. Uh, and yet another sort of like, this is kind of like a horror movie scene. It really, uh, it's, it's like something out of like, uh, when a stranger calls or like when there's like a, the, the predatory horror movies in particular. Well, there's also like ways in which it kind of feels like Return of the Jedi, uh, like oh, at the end where, uh, Was it, been an Ewok then? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he's like sort of like, he's Luke and Kimi is Vader and it's the whole, your sister. Uh, that whole moment that's going to like draw him out into the rage. Uh, if you're not going to be turned, then perhaps she will. No! Uh, it's kind of, I don't know why I went Tom Haverford with that. Uh, <laughs> no! But, <laughs> no! Uh, but either way, let's go down into the orchid. Uh, this final horror scene involving Kimi, Locke, and Ben. Sound number Oceanic 6. Down here, Ben. Crouching in the dark. 
waiting to take a shot at me. You better aim for the head, Ben! Not like your boyfriend who shot me in the back like a coward. This body armor is, um, been known to take a bullet or two in its time. But before you take your shot, Ben, let me tell you about this. See that? I took out a bit of a, a, a life insurance policy, Ben. It's a heart rate monitor. It's connected to a radio transmitter. We call it a dead man's trigger, Ben. My heart stops beating, sends a little signal to the 500 pounds of C4 that I've got hardwired out there on the freighter. That'd kill a lot of innocent people, Ben. I'm bluffing. Need I remind you of uh, how your daughter looked as she bled out, face down in the grass. My name is John Locke, and I have no conflict with you, and neither do the people on that boat. So, why don't you put your knife down? We can talk about this. Well, John Locke... Never really been one for talk. You killed my daughter. Holy crap, this is so good. So? <laughs> I just love that. Part of me doesn't want like the, the scene in part three where like Kimi finally sputters out there. Uh, just because I think this is a fantastic death scene for Kimi, right? Like here he is sort of whistling the farmer in the dell, taunting Ben, like you said, is able to get him back by saying like, uh, well, your boyfriend shot me, but I have bulletproof armor on. And also like... Uh, Hey, you know, uh, if you need convincing, might I remind you of how your daughter looked as she bled out face down in the grass. And despite Locke trying to distract him, Ben completely foregoes the plan and just like maliciously and completely emotionally goes ham on Kimi and stabs him 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 him again. Just saying you killed my daughter over and over again. You killed my daughter. I mean, he is also like, again, this is a, a, a character who is known for being steeled in all measures. Even when something is going wrong, the wheels are turning in his head. Ben and Michael Emerson are sh- 
shaking with adrenaline yeah. at this point. It is a Benjamin Linus that even when he committed genocide and killed his father, we have not seen before. It is a whole new side of this character. Yeah, it's a great moment. Uh, and I get it. But like in an episode where there aren't going to be like a ton of really easy LVP points to hand out. Uh, he gets all those people on the freighter killed. Oh, absolutely. Especially after he espouses to Michael, right? Like, that's the difference between me and Charles Winmore. I don't kill innocent people. Well, you just killed a bunch you of just, innocent people. You just kill you. You condemned them. They're all going to die and it's going to so? be your fault. <laughs> so, and it's like, come on, man. pulling thread. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's not ideal. I would say, I think it's not great. Yeah, uh, ultimately. But I gotta, I gotta give it up to Kevin Durand once again. He is so good at being menacing here. I also love the effect of like, despite the fact that he is alive, he is wounded, right? Like he is not running anymore. He is hobbling around. Blood is following him, the trail that he leaves, but he's still being like completely OTT with him taunting Ben about crouching in the dark. Like he is just gone over the edge yeah. at this moment. And it is so much fun to watch, especially cathartically when Ben has just finally had enough dispenses with all like the gift of the gab that he has and just goes after him with his knife. It's actually going to be a fun precursor to how things end in season five, where Ben similarly is going to become emotionally overwhelmed by something that somebody says acts rashly and kills someone he probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Who's acts rashly. That's the, uh, the partner of Rando guy. Got it. Okay, cool. Uh, and that's the end of the of the second part of the three part finale. Yeah, it's it's I you know obviously at the time it was a whole two hour episode uh, in syndication, and I think on streaming services they tend to separate it. But I would even say it's a really fun end to part two as well, right? Because you still have the climactic moments of the Oceanic Six are trying to get to the freighter, they want to get off the freighter, and now things are accelerated much more to the fact. That Kimi, as he said, the dead man's trigger is about to be activated, and Ben does not give an F. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All right, well, let's get into the second part of the episode. Uh, and, I mean, I guess the third part of the episode. Uh, yeah, here with the final act of There's No Place Like Home. And it's a big one. I feel like we, you talked about this last week, right? That, like, 
you feel like after Kimi dies and the freighter blows up, you're like, wait, there's still 20 more minutes of it. And yet a lot happens in this third act in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how it opens up. Uh, Spy Saeed. Saeed mm-hmm. uh, has, has shown up. Now, outside wait of- a minute. I, I wrote that pun down Did several you? weeks ago on the podcast and Did said, you? quote, does this work? You said no. Uh-huh. And now you come back and use Is it. Is that right? Yes. I don't have any memory Roll of that. Roll it back. Somebody listened back several weeks ago. I said, oh, spy is this a thing? And you said, no. And now oh. it's become a thing. I demand co-credits. Uh, sure. I'll happily give you co-credit for everything that we do here. <laughs> uh, and I'd also love to, to eat some crow here because it ends up that uh, I think spy is pretty good. Svaid, Svaid does his work here. He ends up, you know, taking out a guy with all the what's the time Mike, tricks. That's how, that's how broken my brain is. I have no recollection of that at all. And I also am casting severe judgment against past Wiggler because he was so wrong. Svaid's very good. Yeah, I also love, uh, do you think Spyid waited until specifically 8.15 to be like, oh, it's gotta be lost numbers, so let me wait until that <laughs> clock turns 8.15. <laughs> I love that idea of like, well, I could attack him now, but it's so close to a lost number. Because <laughs> that's what we would do, right? I mean, yeah, you know, if you and I decided to embark on some sort of clandestine spy mission, yeah, I think we would absolutely wait until a lost number uh, manifested itself. Uh, that's what the mini monsters inside of our stupid brains would be telling us to do. Yeah, but Saeed uh, is performing a, a jailbreak here. So uh, once again, Hurley's going to be busting out of Santa Rosa, but instead of Dave, it's going to be Saeed here. But first, they're going to have a, a little bit of a sit down. Hurley's already sitting down, but they're going to catch up really for the first time since what? His birthday party, maybe, to talk at least through? as far as we've seen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the start of, you know, an early season five arc with uh, with Hurley and Saeed. It begins here again. This is sort of like prologue stuff. Let's listen in. Sound number seven. Saeed? Hello, Hurley. I think visiting hours are over, dude. This isn't a visit. I want you to come with me. Come with you where? Somewhere safe. Why would I go anywhere with you? I haven't seen you in, like, forever. Because circumstances have changed. What circumstances? Bentham's dead. What? Two days ago. What happened? They said it was suicide. What do you mean they said it was suicide? And why do you call him Bentham? His name Don't say it. We're being watched. Dude, I've been having regular conversations with dead people. The last thing I need now is paranoia. I just killed a man who's been perched outside this facility for the last week. And finding paranoia keeps me alive. We're not going back, are we? No. Just somewhere safe. Oh, I 
love I just love how professional Spyid is, right? Like Hurley saying, like, come on, dude, you never visited me. And then Spyid's like, oh, I'm sorry. But he's like looking out the window. He's checking the doors, basically like trying to juggle two things at once and having a heartfelt conversation with Hurley while also making sure they don't die right now. Yeah, he is uh he is the only one who convinces me on uh on Bentham. Mm-hmm. Uh he's the only one that convinces me when he says uh, uh Bentham is dead. Don't say his name. Uh he's the only one that convinces me that that works dramatically. I also love Hurley's matter of fact. I've been having regular conversations with dead people. I don't need any more paranoia. Yeah. And then Saeed just replies, I find paranoia keeps yeah. me alive. I just killed a guy who's been parked outside here watching you for a week. I've found that paranoia keeps me alive. Yeah, and that is really is, again, showing how he has become a bit simpatico with Benjamin Linus, right? That does feel like a very Benjamin Linus thing to say of, hey, if you constantly stay on your toes, that means you can keep on the move whenever you need to. That side is like, well, never keep yourself tied down here. Always feel like you have to watch your back because oftentimes you do. Yeah, uh, so it's it's definitely great. The whole Checkmate Mr. Echo is a great moment as well. Uh, I like to imagine like Ghost Echo is still sitting there being like, he keeps beating me. God damn it. I really thought that I would be better at this as a ghost and I'm just not putting in the work. Yeah, why? Do, I guess I should go to ghost chess school and be taught by the master so I can come back and challenge this guy. Yeah, I don't know why I thought you said ghost chest school. Uh, like it's like uh, you're going like to the gym working out your chest muscles. I've got to get my reps in at Ghost yeah, Chest School. At, at the Ghost Gym. Um, exactly. Listen, Ghost gotta stay fit. A ghost has to stay fit. I may have lost uh, my corporeal form, but that doesn't yeah. mean I still can't get gains, baby! I gotta go back to Ghost Pottery School, the frozen ghost <laughs> donkey wheel. Uh, Alright, and then on the helicopter, everyone is just like, you know, very weary at this point. It's like, wow, you've got so much more to go, folks. Um, but oh they're, God. they're here, they're on the helicopter, they, uh, they're trying to find the freighter, uh, they've got about five minutes left before this thing descends into the ocean, so they really gotta start making moves here. Yeah, because it wasn't mentioned, but because since they left, uh, the freighter is on the move, right? Because Desmond was like, oh, Michael, fix the engines. Let's start moving yeah, the engines. Yeah, that was last week. Yeah. yeah and be- but because there's still the C4 thing, they haven't gone any closer to the island. So they flew back. They took Faraday's heading, but the boat's not there. But it's also very clear from an emotional perspective, like Kate in particular is incredibly torn as to what just happened. And we saw this a bit when they were taking off, but this is also a series of Jack making these, like, optimistic but ultimately false promises, right? When he's leaving with Hurley, he's going to say, yeah, once we get to the freighter, we'll come back and look for Claire. And then here yeah. he promises Kate, oh, yeah, we'll go back for Sawyer. Due to circumstances, they they never do. And I can imagine that as we talked about everything sort of coming to weigh in on Jack, particularly in something nice back home, that's probably something, too, right? That just like he made a promise that he would get everyone off the island onto that boat he has also made these micro promises to people of like yeah we'll go back for claire yeah we'll go back for sawyer that he is not fulfilling at the moment yes uh so it's like we'll go back for sure hundo hundo p uh, and she's like i'm not so sure that we're gonna uh meanwhile back at the orchid Locke is trying to save kimi's life it's not happening ben's just kind of sitting there he says, Kimi, it's not my problem, John. <laughs> Kimi has these, like, dark final words for Ben. Uh, wherever you go, 
Whitmore will find you. And Ben says, not if I find him first. And he does, technically speaking, right? We saw that in The Shape of Things to Come, that he's the one to bust into Charles Whitmore's bedroom. Mm-hmm. Kimi dies with those words singing in his ears, and his kill switch goes off. And I believe that this is a note from the Ben behind the curtain in our notes saying, why didn't Locke then just put the kill switch on? Shouldn't it have, like, at, at the very least, maybe try that? Because he is, like, running around being like, I've got this kill switch, Ben. I'm going to use it, Ben. I'm going to blow up all the people with the boat, Ben. And then Locke's like, you just killed everyone on the boat. And then Kimi dies, like, I got to put the thing on. At least I should wear it, just in case. I'll never take it off. Plus, just I've, in case. I, I've been working on my gains. I went to ghost chess school for a second. Like, let me show off my huge biceps. It's a good question. I mean, we saw Omar outfitting him with it briefly, but I don't think we really know how the dead man switch works. You know, like hmm. we saw the metronome section, but I don't know what's connected to Kimi where. It might yeah. be deep in there in a manner of speaking. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid it's in his butt, John. <laughs> You're going to have to pull it out of his <laughs> no, butt. No, <laughs> stop. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. It's this like a little armband. It's just like, put this armband on. Uh, maybe Locke should have tried a little bit, but Locke has never... He likes to pretend he's focused on the group. He's really not always focused on the group. Uh, but the switch goes off. This is bad news on the freighter because we go back to the freighter and the red light comes on. Yeah, and so this is really when uh, I think bobbing for freighters is uh, this, this is what the name of the song is. Jim Fells goes into like literally three videos about it. It's a really fun song, but this is when things go into crisis mode on the freighter as we get a weird sort of like tango here where Michael says, okay, both of you get out of here. And then like Jin's not going to go initially, but then he is going to go later. It does make you wonder like, oh, if Jin had gone with Desmond, what could have happened? Right. Uh, but he doesn't um jin volunteers to stay michael allows him to stay desmond is like you don't have to tell me twice i <laughs> love that like, about desmond Let me GTFO. i don't know yeah. you from adam so i'm gonna get out of here but i mean ironically enough uh he sees the chopper and is waving them away yelling about the bomb like we said this is sort of like the unstoppable force makes an immovable object of they need to get to the freighter but they want to get off the freighter uh, i am surprised that they can hear desmond given the fact that there is so much loud noise going on unless desmond has some sort of super powered vocal cords going on Ooh, yeah he's like able to manipulate the electromagnetic airwaves so and he's able to like project point, himself yeah while we're going back to casting x-men is Desmond Banshee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, Sean he's Cassidy, the, right? Is yeah, his he's, name? From, he's from the same island, right? I believe Sean Cassidy mm-hmm. was Irish. Uh, I and I think that's right. he's Scottish. So, like, I think they're they're from the same general vicinity. I think it could work. They're not from the same island. We're going to get added deeply and rightfully by uh, our Irish and Scottish listeners, I think. Yeah, we, we shall see. But I think it's interesting that uh, somehow he's able to just, like, uh, shout, you know, so that everyone's like, oh, did he say bomb? Should we yeah. land there? Maybe we and should Frank, land Frank there. says, I do not care. Yeah, not really caring about that right now. Uh, uh, Sean Cassidy is Irish, by the way. Yes. Uh, and so uh, he's he's screaming for them to stop. There's a bomb. There's a bomb. Is he saying I'm the bomb? 
<laughs> oh, let me rare look land at you and give him a high that, five. But, but, look at you landing that chopper again, Frank. You're the bomb. That's what he's yeah, saying I mean, to me, right? I mean, Desmond has been hopping back and forth in time. It makes sense that he used a lot of 90s phrases like, uh, yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome <laughs> to the freighter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, all right. So that's what's going on there. They do land. They're going to try and start like patching things up as this quickly as possible incri- like things are moving at i don't even know what type of pace it is incredibly fast there's so much yelling back and forth a lot of crosstalk this is the moment where sun tries to go get jen but kate makes her stay and then as kate goes in jack stops her and says like i'm not leaving here without you i mean basically we're gonna segue right now into sound number eight which is a big one it's a lot of sound going on but this is essentially the final minutes of the mm. Kahana. It's the final minutes of Michael Dawson. We think for a good portion of time, it's the final minutes of Jinsu Kwan. Uh, but we're about to listen to the freighter blow up. And yeah. And, and I should say again, as we joked at the start of this podcast, but now would be a good time, I think, to turn down the dial on your volume, just giving you a little bit more space to do that, because not only are you going to hear a giant explosion, but you'll also hear Sun's reaction, which uh, uh, is definitely going to win whatever award for best scream acting in the oh, history. I'm, s- of- I'm so sorry, Maggie Grace, you have been displaced. You know, uh, so let's listen in. Sound number eight. Jay, you gotta go. Nothing more we can do, man. No, I can't fight. Hey, come on, it's over. I'm almost out of this stuff. Listen, you are a father now. Get to your wife and get her home. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Oh! Woof. 
That's God, so brutal. It's so it's so brutal. I mean, so we have a lot of things to talk it's about. It's so here. brutal. Let, yeah. Let's let's I guess start with the Michael stuff because I really do like this moment with Jin. Right, he'll get the literal closure with his life ending very soon. But I do you feel are like a father now. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit of emotional closure though, right? Because like this was a guy who was known on the island for being a father when many other people weren't. Like he has that unique experience, and much like Bernard bonded with Jen over being the only two married men, I sort of feel like Michael has that moment here where he says like, "You are a father now." I mean, Michael did so many things for the sake of being a father, killing two people to help his son. He knows firsthand like how important it is to keep your family in your life. Family comes first. And so I think him sending Jin off there is is a really sweet notion and maybe served as like the final bit of emotional closure. Granted, Michael's not going to have that with like Jack or Kate or Sawyer, who he more directly betrayed. But I do feel like character wise, it's a closing moment for him as it segues into the whispers and Christian Shepherd coming back i have some thoughts about this josh but mr mini monster i'm gonna turn things over to you here well yeah i mean like you know mr mini monster right like everyone's got little pieces of mini monster on their brains and they're you know they take them off the island and stuff so like there's like the mini monster stuff then that would help explain how uh christian is here uh and saying you can go now uh i think the more seriously minded version of that is the detail that the freighter has moved pretty close to the island. Mm -hmm. So if Hydra Island is also going to like um, blip away uh, in whatever uh, frozen donkey wheel magic uh, is about to occur, that maybe uh, certainly like bits of freighter wreckage will do that as well. Cause Jin is going to be tripping through time. Um, so does that mean that the smoke monster is in, uh, is currently within like reasonable jurisdiction to a certain extent? <laughs> You're in his territory now. I think the most interesting part of this is the use of John Terry as Christian Shepherd, right? Cause Michael's even could ask like, who are you? He's never met Christian Shepherd in his life. And I can think of two reasons behind it. One, uh, I think it was much easier to get John Terry. He just did stuff in Cabin Fever. And I think that Cynthia Watros would have been the person to pick, but I don't know if she's coming back. But they're uh, also the trying to hype up the man in black at this point. Like now we're, we're like with like, uh, with, cabin fever and and with something nice back home um like we're really now pivoting towards they have figured out that the smoke monster is the man in black is the main antagonist of the show so yeah. they you know they're leaning into that they know that they're going to hype this character up even more next season so i think like they need they need that to be recognizable to us that it's a big deal that at least someone who looks like christian shepherd if not is christian shepherd is at these intersectional moments of danger and intrigue and mystery. Um, and that it matters more for us to be like, Oh, well that guy is evocative of like the Jacob stuff. It matters more that like, we're getting that feeling that it matters for like Michael to have any sort of reaction to like, I don't know who it could have been that would like, if it was like Libby, you know, maybe. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. But not only that, and I only came up with this during my last rewatch of this, so, Josh, you said that at this point they already figured out, you know, that the man in black was going to become the main antagonist of the last season in particular. But what if at this point Damon and Carlton knew how this series would end, not just mm -hmm. with everyone moving on, but they knew that it was going to end with Christian Shepard telling Jack 
Like everyone's gathered here for you. You all died at some point. You were not dead the whole time. Let me underline that for you. And now it is time to move on. You can go now. Josh, what if the use of Christian Shepherd here was actually a very small planting seed for how the series is going? Yeah, to I love that. I love that. I think that that makes some sense to me. Like at this point, it does seem like we are moving towards, um, you know, we, we are moving towards the end game. We are moving towards the smoke monster being a character rather than just like this force of nature. Why wouldn't we be moving towards they have this idea of it's going to end in sort of this ethereal way that's going to, uh, you know, be radically divisive um, <laughs> and that it's going to involve Christian to some capacity. Yeah, I love that. It at the very least connects on that level you know, after the fact. Right. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility for me that this is something that was uh, at least lightly planned for sure. So, I mean, you talked about how many lives Sawyer saved, I guess. So let's talk about this. Cause this is officially like RIP Michael. Do you want to memorialize? Cause I know we talked about this in meet Kevin Johnson, right? How you felt that the Michael stuff never really vibed with you in relitigating through podcast form his journey in season four, how are you feeling about it now? Uh, not terribly differently. Mm. Um, not terribly differently. I think among the greatest victims of the writer's strike is uh, the Michael storyline. Um, the needle has not moved in a positive direction for me as it pertains to Michael. It hasn't dipped terribly negatively i think it is about the same as it's ever been which is that i don't love it i don't like it i wish that it had been different i feel like it's not that hard of a pivot to uh if like they are getting this shortened episode order to just not kill him let him live and then explore him a little bit more and especially like if it's like Jin is kind of shipwrecked, is there not something really interesting to like having Michael and Jin shipwrecked in time again together? No, like, no, not a drift part two. It, well, but like different, like it, it would be, you know, the kind of thing that maybe makes a drift better. Um, I think like the practical considerations are uh, like, did they bring Harold Perrineau back specifically with like a one season contract? Like we're right. bringing you back, but we're killing we'll, you off. We'll, we'll give you the ending that you finally and, wanted with your character. So, and so at this point, are they just not able to do that? Um, but like, I, I believe that I've talked about this before. I've talked about the time I interviewed Harold Perrineau, right? I, I, I don't, think I don't so. Know, I don't think you talked about it on podcast. Yeah. Let's see if I've got... Uh, if I can... Uh, let's see if I can't quickly Google this. Ooh, look at this. Like, two weeks ago, the Alex Gardner tidbits, and now the Harold Perrineau tidbits. Uh, I believe it's Garland. Uh, let me see if I can't find... Uh, yeah, well, while you're looking, I, I can sort of talk about my thoughts on it because i think i talked about this during me kevin johnson i think i gained more of an appreciation for that episode from my own personal standpoint because again i think uh with my own personal experience with things like suicide and depression and mental health i saw a lot more in michael's emotional journey there than i have prior i don't know how i don't think i've ever felt a certain way about the way he goes out here because due to the writer strike in the second half of the season being so truncated we barely deal with kevin johnson right he is taken prisoner in cabin fever and then he helps you know uh he's on the bomb squad really in these last two episodes i also do wonder you know josh you went into great detail about all the people that sawyer saved by jumping in the water i mean 
d- who does Michael really save here? I guess does he save the Oceanic Six, and that the the boat would have me- immediately blown up were it not for his thirty seconds of vamping with the liquid nitrogen? Um, like I think that's probably right. Yeah, uh, you know the uh, if not for what he does, we probably lose. I mean, we lose Desmond, we lose Sun, we lose Aaron, we definitely lose Jin. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's the same thing as the Sawyer stuff, right? It is the same thing as the Sawyer stuff, and it's a lot more thankless. That's um, the thing, is that I think the Sawyer stuff has so much emotional weight to it and is built up much yeah. more as a sacrifice, whereas the Michael stuff, and again, maybe it's just due to the odd truncation of the meet Kevin Johnson stuff, that I think he does get redemption here, but it feels, feels more hollow than the Sawyer stuff, which is more soaring and more climactic. Here it's like, well, Michael is able to, uh, you know, get done what he wants to. He helps save the people that he's wronged, and then he's finally able to go. And maybe it's just also due to the pace of the scene. Like, it's yeah. so quick that it sort of gets, I don't know, yada yada. Through I think it's the Sawyer. pace of the arc. I think that the arc just, like, he's back, but and he even gets his own episode, and it still doesn't feel like enough. I think, like, they just don't spend enough time with the character, and, like, if you're gonna give Michael a redemption arc after what he did, it requires more time than they than they have for him or that right. they give him. I think you know the balance is somewhere in between those two things of like then they give him versus like what they have because then they they do have episodes that they're able to come back with and like uh, they spend as much time as they do taking Jack's appendix out. Uh, <laughs> that like you got to think like there were there were opportunities to like tell more of a Michael story here. Um, and I just I I wish I I kind of I think of 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 maybe more than any other main main character on the show I wish that they had had more time to spend with Michael in a proper thoughtful way mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. by doing that you probably are able to then spend some time with Walt in a more proper and thoughtful way And that's like a loop. That's like the least satisfying arc of any of the OG characters, I think. Like, even Shannon is more satisfying. (laughs) Even uh, Boone is definitely more satisfying to me. Yeah, well, both Um, of those characters get closure, right? Like, even though Shannon shockingly gets shot, she still has this moment where, like, Saeed believes her when we find out more of her tragic past. It's still not great, but, like, I think, like, they at least, yeah, they, like, they do go there in a way that like i mean what happens with michael is really complicated he murders characters that are important to our characters like whether or not you like them or not even though i think you and i ended up really liking anna lucia in in our season two assessment um that i feel like uh you really got to be very thoughtful with that character and i think that it was just not done with the delicacy that it deserved that the actor demands because he's such an excellent actor. Uh, he's such a complicated character, even outside of what he did to Anna and and Libby. Michael's life is hard. It's a rough he a, life. He has a really rough life and a really complex journey where like things did not bend in the right ways for him. And like he's reacted poorly to certain circumstances, but circumstances have reacted poorly to him as well. And he just becomes this sort of like cosmic butt of a joke. Like he's, he's here. He's allowed to live through all of those like final weeks of like shame and misery only to like blow up the boat because that's what always happens. Like 
that story works well for someone like John, John Locke, Locke because exactly. a lot of thought goes into it and a lot of time is invested in the character. There's just not enough time and thought invested in Michael for it to work for me. Even though, like, you know, these are, we're talking, and like with the Sawyer thing, we're talking about a thing that, like, we're praising so hard with, like, the moment of Sawyer jumping, the, the, uh, like, sort of like the, the boldness of how they resolve the John Locke storyline. Michael in this episode is doing stuff that Sawyer is doing. Michael in this episode, his story is ending in ways that are kind of like tipping the hand of how Locke's story will end mm-hmm. to a certain extent, but it's like a timed thing. It's the investment. Um, they just sort of drop him back in. For a hot minute at the end of an episode, then they give you him for a full episode. Then you see like slices of him in like one or two other episodes. And then like he's just like freezing a bomb and then that's it. It's not enough time. It's just not. Uh, And I think that that can be the product of a bunch of stuff, whether it's a contract, you know, and literally just like money, practical concerns. This being a network show, that could be a huge piece of it. Um and I just wish that it had been done differently. It was the writer's strike. What are you going to do? But no, has the do I think of Michael's story any differently? I don't. I'm still not thrilled with it. Like it, it's just I think this is always going to be something where I will always like feel fairly raw about mm. how dirty he got done. Yeah. Uh, and that like I think like even when they have the opportunity to bring him back for the final season, they just bring him back as like a ghost who never gets to move on. And so like the insinuation is like the crimes he committed and like the pain he caused, uh, was still, like, was still not enough despite everything he's gone through up to this and point. Like, and, and like measured against like some of the other things that other people have done. Like he Benjamin doesn't get minus <laughs> like he doesn't get to go there. Like, yeah, it leaves, a, it leaves a really, really sour taste in my mouth. And I, I couldn't find the interview I was talking about, but back when I worked at MTV, I interviewed Harold, Harold Perrineau for something and I couldn't like let him go without me like mentioning like, I'm a, I'm such a huge fan. I've loved you since Oz uh, and I loved you on Lost and I still think it's nonsense that they didn't get to get you into the church. It's like, I know, what did I do that was so much worse than everyone? He's <laughs> like, they were all pretty terrible, weren't they? Like, you know, he was like feeling that too. Oh, that's uh, great. Well, let's yeah. talk about something that is much more well done than maybe Michael's arc, which is Yunjin Kim as sun here because we are essentially saying goodbye to the Quans together this is the last time they're going to be with each other in this main timeline until the last recruit until season six right before they die so this really is the end of an era and i cannot throw enough praise onto her performance like it, it just hurts it hurts watching the way that she reacts because it is so I don't know. It's so I wouldn't say lifelike because I I don't know what someone how someone would react in that situation. But it is so visceral the way she looks like she's about to like throw herself out of the helicopter. It's terrible the yeah. way she is like demanding that they go back. Like it, she is clearly incredibly traumatized and distraught, understandably so by what just happened. She thought the love of her life just died, uh, and so even though she's in a bit of denial of like oh we can still go back and save him, she's just having this completely unhinged reaction that pairs so nicely into the flash forward when we are back to like cold you know badass son going into charles winmore's uh golf club meetings talking about wanting to do business with him yeah um yeah it's it's uh it's one of the very best acting moments in the whole show i think completely agreed just like 
put candidly. Yeah, and, and and it's it's great because there really isn't any dialogue, right? Like I would imagine, I would not be surprised, especially again going back to how maybe some of this was done on the fly. If they just talked to Young Jin Kim and is just like say whatever you need to to get in that moment. So like the screams and all the stuff that she's repeating almost like mindlessly, that could be just an improvisation for all we know. But you don't even need that dialogue. All you need is her emotional reaction to it. And it just bleeds through. It really does. And now it all connects back to the very first scene of through uh, There's No Place Like Home Part 1, where she says, we are in shock, Jack. We are in shock, Jack. This is what puts her in shock, very clearly. And we see that for the rest of the episode, where I don't think she gets like a line of dialogue. When we're on the Penny's boat, we keep cutting to her, and she is just like staring off at the ocean. She very clearly becomes a different person in this moment. And it's very different than like... What we saw from Ben, who does a similar type of metamorphosis in becoming a different person several episodes ago, this is the opposite of Ben just sitting there stunned. This is Sun screaming her head off in response yeah. to her husband blowing up on the freighter. And the uh, the the behind the scenes of it uh, that uh, if I don't know if you've ever watched it, the royal you out there, but like it's really intense to watch. Like the making of, uh, she just like goes for it. Uh, like, I can't even imagine, like, being a fly on the wall for the production of this scene. No, I can't imagine being someone in the chopper. Like, I guess maybe they're all in the moment as well. But, like, having to be next to Sun, who is hysterical, but the characters in the moment are, like, trying to comfort her. But at the same time, you know, Frank's trying to get the chopper lifted up. So there's, again, a lot of stuff going on. But it does feel like Sun's screams are sort of like the thing to, I guess, much like Desmond's superpower, shower the sound barrier in that everything seems to quiet down for a second and they all look over the wreckage. And this raises a big question as well, right? Because going into this episode, we were led to believe, okay, it was the freighter that gets them off the island. That very clearly doesn't happen. So now what? Right, right. So where are they going to go? Uh, so the tension is really, really, really high after the freighter's explosion because, like, Michael's decisively dead. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know how many people like really thought that Jin was dead. I know that I, they I played it did. up. Yeah, I kind of figured like it's sort of like you don't see the body rules. Well, I, I figured it's a type of thing, and I think even the actor who plays Omar talks about this in the Lost on Location of like when you die on Lost, there's a chance you'll still appear in flashbacks anyway. Like there could have been a thing where Jin dies, but like Ghost Jin appears to Hurley, right? Like there's still a way that DDK stood have still could have been on the show proper, but I don't believe that they really tipped the hand for at least a little while that Jin would be coming back until maybe like the summer Comic Con stuff started coming out. They left him completely out of the of the of the promotional materials. He's Did not on they? the poster. Oh, I can that. Yeah, he's not on the poster for season five. Like they really tried to like lean into it for a while, and so that it would be like sort of a moment when he comes back. But I don't know. Like I, uh, there there were like there were a few instances in like pop culture up to that point where I was like, "There's no body. He's not dead." Like they just they're not going to do Jin like that. Uh, so were you one of those people that like uh, when uh, Kit Harrington cut his hair, they're like, oh, that means Jon Snow is not coming back. Oh, no. I mean, like I thought Jon Snow was coming back no matter what. Uh, so, you know, I'm a pretty big deal like that. I kind of just knew, you know, Jin Snow. Yeah, Jin Snow. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So let's go to London. 
going to London, London England. England. Yes, uh, as uh, Sun is going to uh, try and like make her alliance with Charles Widmore. Yeah, and this, this is something that, like you said, is going to be a bit of a prologue to something that get built, gets built out much more in the opening episodes of season five. That is essentially like a, you and I have common interests, namely not liking Benjamin Linus. Yes. Uh, so uh, she's like, "Oh yeah, I know, I know your dad. I owe him dinner, right?" Uh, uh, and man, again, I mean, we talked about it last week. It was great to have like one last shot at like Paik in the series just being like such a twerp. And so I'm kind of happy about that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, would have been nice. Uh, would have been nice to have seen that uh, that moment with uh, with Chucky Wids and Mr. Paik. Yeah, I mean, that's also, I think, an, uh, just an undiscovered thing, right? Is, uh, you know, what were these? How are these people getting into business together? Like they're the parents of these main characters. But I like the use of businesswoman's son here, right? That, like, she has conquered her kingdoms. Now she's going to wield that power. We're not Paik. She's the one to walk in. Much like her conversation with Paik, she's like, let's get rid of the niceties. You know exactly who I am. Here's what I want with you. Here's my card. Let's talk next season. Ciao. Yes. Uh, So that's where we leave it with with them. Um, I believe... Maybe as early as the season five premiere, it's where Widmore is like going to come to her and be like, "You just came to me in broad daylight." Uh, so like he plays it pretty cool here, but uh, ultimately it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty pretty rough uh, yeah. the next time they meet. Speaking of pretty rough, let's cut back to the chopper because man, if you thought they were reeling from losing Sawyer, they are positively devastated losing yes. the Kahana because again, they think that was their way. Off the island, like Jack at least is, Sawyer was swimming the last time they saw him. Like Jen ain't, Jen ain't swimming at the moment. This is pretty unequivocal. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. I mean, Sun is. I mean, you'd say she's in denial, but she's actually right, saying, uh, "Oh no, Jin's still out there." But Jack has to say, "It's gone. He's gone." Yeah, and he is so defeated at this moment because we heard it in the Sawyer clip, right? Frank's like, "Oh, we have to go back to the island to, to you know patch up," and Jack's like, "No way." We're not going back there. And finally, after all this effort, after everything, after a busted appendix and after an explosion that possibly took one of the original members of Oceanic 815, Jack is weary enough to say, okay, fly us back to the island. Let's yeah, he's it like, in. I guess we weren't supposed to leave. It's a good taken lock. <laughs> it's, it was a good effort, but let's pack it in. And Sun is distraught to say the least she is screaming again yeah. no no you can't do this yeah 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 it's awful um all right back at the orchid sort locks like why did you kill kimi you knew what it would do to the boat and ben's like i don't know i was emotional i wasn't thinking straight sometimes good command decisions get compromised by bad emotional responses and yeah you know th- we're going to talk about this in a later clip but this is really officially i think ben's passing of the torch right like now they're officially in the orchid he's gonna do the thing he's officially gonna tell Locke, like good luck and this is one of those instances where he says hey you know what that's one of the mistakes i made as leader i'm sure you're gonna do just fine buddy don't worry about it yes so uh he's loading up the thing he's throwing in the metal we're gonna blow this thing to smithereens We'll check in on that in a second. At the beach, speaking of things blown to smithereens, Juliet is just getting shwasties uh, on rum because she watched the the, the freighter explode, or at yeah. least she sees the the smoke uh, in the distance. 
Yeah, not just the monster uh, or, in, or in his mini form. It's also it's a, an interesting callback, at least from my perspective, to the beginning of Not in Portland, right, where we do like the, the Locke-esque pan around of her being emotional on the beach. I guess here she's more so emotionally vacant because she has drank herself into a stupor, realizing that her hopes of leaving the island have once again gone up in smoke. But it's it's a rough moment for Juliet as well. We don't really focus on it. But remember that, like, she ends up joining up with Jack uh, in season three, after the whole surgery kerfuffle, because they decide, like, we're going to work together to leave the island. This is someone who has been promised this so many times. And as we see in the other woman, love it or hate it, has shown, like, the opportunity she has to escape this abusive situation has been denied to her an infinite amount of times. Now there is yet again another golden opportunity, and it went up in flames. Though at least... You know, I guess she ends up looking out and that if she was indeed on that first boat, we talked about this last week, there's a very good chance she would have blown up on the freighter, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. She wouldn't have made it um, at all. Um, but it's got to be just like such a demoralizing thing to have, you know, in the span of what, like three weeks, watch two different uh, <laughs> ocean bound vessels explode and not get her off the island. And then it's going to be three is a trend next season yeah not that it's gonna blow up but like she's gonna be on a submarine and then they just turn it around uh and then she blows up so it's just always explosions <laughs> yeah well that's the thing as well uh, uh it's been making a note that like so far we are really four for four in finales with something blowing up right whether it's the hatch or the hatch or the others or in this case the kahana something's always exploding and in this case like in juliet is internally combusting realizing that yet another opportunity she's been the football's been in place in front of her but damn it juliet brown you always aren't able to cook it to kick it poor sawyer when he's like uh watching this we're gonna get that moment in the season five premiere where he's like, everybody, I just watched everybody I love. Like, everybody I love is on that boat, I think he yeah. says. Like, everybody I ever cared about is on that boat. Uh, it's a harsh, harsh moment for him yeah. as well. But it is a really fun moment that, again, hints to some season five stuff that, like, Juliet is the one to greet Sawyer when he comes out of the yep, water. Yeah, of course. They're right? setting that up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, you have Sawyer being cheeky, right? Being like, oh, I just thought I'd take a dip. And then immediately, ironically enough, sobers up when Juliet indicates that the smoke is in the distance. And this is, again, like we talked about, I think, in uh, in Something Nice Back Home, this is really going to set up sort of like the dual leaders of the people who stay behind here on the island. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is the beginning of uh, You Got My Back, you yeah. know, uh, because he's shirtless and she sees his back when he sits to turn and look at the... Yeah, how did, did so? What did he just like? Was his shirt too heavy, so he tore it off while he was swimming? And maybe I don't know. We'll talk about this. That uh, Desmond's going to lose his shoes when they hit the water. <laughs> like, does yeah. this just happen where you jump out of a, of uh, a big height? Are we sure he was wearing you? shoes? It's hard to know if he's ever I don't, wearing shoes. I don't shoes. think you walk around the dingy, dirty Kahana without shoes on. Personally, I think I think, uh, I think Desmond may just be like a barefoot guy. Is he, is he that guy from Die Hard who's like, you're really going to want to like curl your toes on the carpet to really get used to things? Is it, Oh, yeah, the guy on the plane. Yeah, who convinces uh, John McClane to go barefoot, essentially, throughout all yeah, Die Hard. Yeah, that guy needs to be uh, spoken with. Uh, <laughs> Especially in the COVID era. <laughs> yeah, because he was wrong. Um, all right, let's go back to Ben and Locke. Uh, in fact, let's listen in. Uh, we'll listen in on this scene with Ben and Locke. This is 
uh, like the fond farewell between these two characters. When next we meet, it will be like the very harsh goodbye. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because again, this is like a very, I wouldn't say sweet, but it's a really interesting moment between these two characters that, of course, you would say would be a fitting ending for them were it not that they do have one more conversation where Ben ends up killing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, let's, let's listen in on this conversation. Sound number nine. What's that for? We're going somewhere cold. Then where is mine? You don't need one because you're not going with me. Yes, I am going with you. No, John, you're not. Jacob told me what we had to do. You don't get to make. He told me what to do, but he didn't tell you how, because he wants me to suffer the consequences. What consequences? Whoever moves the island can never come back. So I'd like you to get on the elevator, John, and go back up. Richard and my people will be waiting two miles east of the orchid. Waiting for me. Ready, willing, and able to share what they know. Then they will follow your every word. Goodbye, John. Sorry I made your life so miserable. What do I tell him to do? You find your way, John. You always do. Yeah, I mean, this is we're going to get into it as, uh, you know, the next thing that's really going to happen after this is the frozen donkey wheel, which is in the the intro clip. But this is really like almost Ben's making amends, right? Like from his perspective, he feels like he's about to leave the island forever. And so this is him saying his goodbyes, trying to tie up the loose end. So I actually do think he is genuinely speaking to Locke here, right? Like, I do think the apology is actually genuine that Ben is trying to maybe not repent for what he did, but maybe there's some small morsel of guilt he feels that he did all this stuff, all this manipulation was for naught at the end of the day, and he does feel bad that this poor sap John Locke had to fall for it. But it's a you know it's a moment between these two characters that has just been a continually interesting dynamic. But as we said before the clip, it is certainly not the last time these two guys will come together. No, but it is it is nice to that that look on Ben's face where it's like I'm sorry I made your life so miserable. Uh like I do think that there is like an element to which he feels that. Less Agreed. about less about John and more about the way he has lived his own life is kind of how I read that. Well, uh, I think like, that I think that pairs really nicely with Locke asking, "Well, why didn't Jacob tell me how to move the island?" and he said, "Because he wants me to suffer the consequences." Right? Right. That, like, this is now me paying for my own sins. This is karma come back around uh, to quote Bernard. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think, I think that that's a really nice moment of character growth for Ben. And I think uh, Locke, like accepting the torch and finally like being ready to take this on is a cool moment, especially because he's never really going to get the chance. That's the thing is that, and we'll talk about this. One of the reasons why I love the final scene is because we end this sequence with John Locke probably on top, the most on top he'll ever be, right? Like, he wanted to be a leader. 
He finally has a group that, as Ben says, will follow his every word. Ben gives him his blessing, saying, you find your way, John, you always do. Even the scene from a cinematography perspective is done from, you know, looking up. It's almost as if to make Locke look like he is literally on top uh, of the world. He's on a cliff looking down like he's some sort of mythical savior right now. He is the chosen one in this moment. And then it is punctuated by a small, but what I feel like is a beautiful line where Richard says, hello, John, welcome home. And that is, again, why I love the flashbacks in Cabin Fever, because this is a home that John has either denied himself or has been denied. Again, your mileage may vary on that. But this is a home that, like, John has been knocking on the door this entire time and has not been let in. The door has finally opened. And I do think that John Locke has finally, like, succeeded in his goal here. And I guess the others did as well, considering how many times Richard Alpert tried to recruit him. The two groups have finally met each other. And like you said, it'll be for a short amount of time. For like five seconds. We, yeah, but we can, like, uh, you know, we can <laughs> marinate in this bliss at the moment for John Locke's sake. Yes. Um, all right. Well, we, we listened to a bunch of this uh, at the top of the episode, right? Uh, ben going into the chamber... Finding the frozen donkey wheel, the whole, I hope you're happy now, Jacob. And I, and I don't think it can come across from an audio perspective, but Michael Emerson, such a good performance in this scene. The look on his face as he pushes the wheel is incredibly powerful. First, uh, there's some obviously like exertion going on. Look, um, Michael Emerson certainly did not go to ghost chess school, so he's not exactly built like an ox or a donkey to pull this wheel. But there's like genuine tears building in his eyes. I think he's really becoming emotional for one of the first times since he was that little baby Ben Linus back in the man behind the curtain, realizing that the place he has called home, the place he has fought tooth and nail and has done unspeakably horrible things on behalf of in order to push it yeah in yeah, order to he, save he this finally, place he finally has to leave and look like if it makes you emotional to leave summer camp imagine what it feels like to leave your home of so many years that you've been the leader for for a significant portion of time it is a huge moment for this character and not unlike sawyer it is a selfless moment from a selfish character yeah uh it is this like kind of like not like his last sort of pure moment but it is his last one for a minute because season five ben is like a trash man yeah he's just uh, like, like kill everyone kidnap all the children uh kill all the pennies until i get what i want well he's just like so desperate now and like he's back and you know he was fighting to come back this is like i regret doing that good thing uh i should have stayed uh and so here he is and he's just gonna like do whatever he can to like stay and dig in further and like screw you jacob and all of that yeah. stuff well, I do wonder if part of that is, you know, not to say that Ben thought he was going to die here, but it is a matter of, hey, if you had X amount of time before you knew you would die, what would you do? Sort of Charlie style, right? What would you do? Depending on the person, uh, you know, it may vary, but most likely you're going to try to do something good, you know, to leave your mark on this world that no matter what you did before, at least you left with one final good moment. And I wonder if Ben's kind of doing that here, where he ends up, you know, quote unquote, dying this life on the island. But then when he finds out like, oh, you can still go back. Now he's like, oh, wait, I have a second chance at life. Well, forget all that. I I'm going to do whatever it takes to get back there and keep being the person I was. Yeah. 
He uses the crowbar, you know, he uses it for leverage. The scene is wild. I mean, this was the kind of thing that was super fun when you were like tracking the interviews back in the day. And they're like, yeah, the end of scene, this one's called the frozen donkey wheel. And you're like, hmm, what could that mean? And then it's just a frozen donkey wheel. It's, absolute, it's, a, it's an absolutely wild image as well, because let's remember this is Tropical Island on Lost, and we are in a tundra cavern uh, where you have to wear a parka. It is a definitive change in scene. This also feels like the most like mythical thing we have seen on the show so far. I know that a big old plume of smoke is pretty mythical, but like seeing this ancient cistern and a wheel with all these gears, like it very much calls to me what we're going to see from the heart of the island and the temple and everything in season six, because we haven't really seen any of that stuff yet. It's just like a, it's a really, really cool set piece. And it's not going to be our last time here, but you really remember it because it is absolutely wackadoo. It right? is. Like, we hear, we're going to have to move the island. We talked about this at the, at the end of Cabin Fever. You say, how the hell is that going to work? Evidently, it works by going underground into a frozen cavern where there's this <laughs> big-ass wheel yeah. that apparently they yoked animals to, hence the name Donkey Wheel, that you have to turn, and the island literally blips out of existence it's wild it's really wild and everyone watches it right like everyone watches yeah. it from the chopper uh they then they're like the island's gone there's like the little ripple it's so it's so satisfying because it's the kind of thing that people theorized about like oh the island can move i bet and it can and then like the insinuation that it's it's moving in time and space is just like such a cool idea like it's the closest that the show gets to like the island is some kind of like space shippy device, uh, which is not what it is. But like, I mean, I guess it could be still theoretically. I don't know. But the uh, real, another really fun thing about it is they take a, a great page out of Exodus in that once the island moves, that's the last we see of it and the people on the island. It's all Oceanic 6 from here on out. So we have no idea where or when is Sawyer Juliet, Miles, Charlotte, Faraday, Bernard, Rose, a bunch of gawkers, they all disappear for the rest of the episode. And so we're really left wondering throughout that summer break, like, what the hell just happened? Where did they go to? Right. And I think the choice to not show the island after that, even to create a big cliffhanger moment, is fantastically well done. They really left us wanting more after that by yeah, choosing to no, say they do a really great job. It's very smart. It's very smart to them because now at this point, like, let's focus on how these people got out. Let's focus on how these people get to safety and return to civilization because that's a big uh, X card, you know? And so, like, now let's introduce this other X card. Like, we were wondering what happened to the people who were not part of the Oceanic Six. And now we have one of those classic answers that asks a question. They were on the island, but where's the island? And it's yeah. not like Lost isn't ever going to go back to the island. So, you know, you're going to go back to these characters. But like now the tension is like, where are they? What happened? And of course, I think, um, you know, it's pretty it's pretty apparent at this point that like time travel is going to be a big thing. You know, time traveling bunnies sort of begets time traveling <laughs> characters in the island. Yeah, or, or other time-traveling bunnies, because they get busy. Uh, the other fun irony of this is, again, subverting our expectations. We keep thinking that the Oceanic Six left the island. The island left the Oceanic Six, yeah. is yeah, more like it. Cool. They were the ones that were left behind. They were they the were ones that were trying to get back. They were trying to get back. We have to go back. We have yeah. nowhere to land. We have to go back to the island, but the island pieced out on them. 
Yeah, so it's almost like they were the you know they were they were I guess the survivors of Oceanic Eight One Five because everyone else is gone at the moment, and so it just so happens that despite all of these people wanting to leave the island at some point over season four, through pure happenstance, they happen to be you know a proper distance away from the island that they were not caught up in it and were essentially able to leave the very place that they wanted to at the start. Yes. Uh, it's, it's really smart writing. It's really sharp. It's a really cool way to send us into the end game, uh, of this episode and really, you know, deeper into the end game of the show at large helicopters going to crash. There's nowhere to land. Island is gone. Oh, uh, this, this is pretty intense as well. Like we go from the intensity on the WTFness of the Island blipping to the intensity of this helicopter crash. I also love, maybe it's again, a, a bit of a callback to Anna Lucia and the other 48 days. I love I'm a sucker for a good, like, the silent shot of Jack under the water, and then when he picks his head up and we we pan the camera up above the water line, then, like, chaos is happening around him. Yes. Uh, so, uh, it's just nonsense. It's nonstop. There's just uh, action and violence, and poor Aaron is crying, and it's yeah. really, really... It's all really sad. And, and Desmond is unconscious and this is a moment right when you're like this is one of my least favorite parts of the episode though there's no way they're killing desmond like this just no chance it's just this is kind of like uh this is just sort of like baked in drama uh because like well we don't know that he's put you know i get it i get it yeah i mean listen i i of course going what considering what happens next i certainly wouldn't want it to happen but i mean it is at least a chance for jack to pull out the old cpr skills it's been half a second since he's done that yeah i suppose so he's bringing desmond back desmond's alive we're all alive we're alive we're all glad somebody is (laughs) yeah exactly because evidently everyone's either dead or gone at this point but before we can take a breath specifically desmond we go to another flash forward where we get a, a stranger calls to quote a horror movie that kimi might star in uh where kate gets a call in the middle of the night from some whispers yeah the whispers and here's claire apparently uh, the whispers on the phone if you play it backwards uh the whispers say the island needs you you have to go back before it's too late interesting interesting so i wonder What's- i wonder if is that is that like a ben thing or is that really the island calling her back what is your interpretation of Claire being here is my question. I think, listen, Josh, you open the tube to this delicious toothpaste and mini monster. I'm not going to put it back in anytime soon. It's a mini monster. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that this could be, listen, it's in the monster's prerogative, right, to like keep the candidates off the island. And so I think when you have Claire basically being like, don't leave or don't go back to the island, don't bring him back. And while it might be uh, picking on Kate's guilt, it could also just be like, uh, hey, uh, hey, I, don't, hey, don't, go, don't hey, come back God. to the island anytime don't, soon, Patty. Don't come back here. I want to stress you out really bad because no, you are going to uh, come back. No, listen. Uh, yeah, I want to make sure you're really off balance when you come back. It's going to be really good for the big monster. Claire doesn't want you to, so don't do it. Though, of course, you know, again, people have freaky deaky dreams and lost all the time. It could just Always be Claire's. Do. Especially, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining this is either like that night or a couple of nights after the whole we have to go back conversation. I could imagine that like the images of the island are now lingering in Kate's brain now that she has to get brought back around to that subject. Yeah, you know, I think at this point, like, uh, it's the paranoia will destroy a kind of thing, or it will keep you alive in the case of Saeed, but for yeah. everybody else, uh, that she's like, oh, man, now she's starting to really, really, really sweat it. Yeah, uh, and she starts, like, crying over him, apologizing, which is interesting to me. Is it just more so that, like, he she feels like he'll never meet her true mother? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So it's not it's not like a uh, it's not like a Daniel Danielle Rousseau like well, I'm so sorry. So, it's more like I'm sorry like, for your situation. She's just such an unanswered question at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they like the the island itself is already such a lingering question. But like Claire went missing first. Where did she yeah. go? You know, and so like they don't know. They don't know the answer to that. Uh, and I got to imagine that is that is hitting her pretty hard. Uh, like the not knowing must be uh, must be vicious. Must be vicious for Kate in her in her circumstances. So they're opening up the door for like how that storyline is going to play uh, to a certain extent when we get to season five. Let's go back to not the island because the island is gone. We're just now in the middle of the ocean. Um, good timing though. Because, and I wonder how much, because like Penny's boat shows up so quickly mm-hmm. that I wonder how much of it is like, because the island is gone or all of like the wonky electromagnetics no longer really in play. So, oh, like, so, so it just looks like a regular old body of water. Yeah. Well, it's like maybe like whatever, like hijinks were going on with like navigation and controls and radar and all that stuff that makes sciencey sense that I can't process out loud in words uh, that maybe that is no longer the the discombobulation involved with that because the island's unique properties maybe that's no longer in play because they just like they're on the raft you get the sense for like four hours before uh, yeah it's it's, it's nighttime but you'd imagine that due to like everyone seems pretty chill at the moment as we're about to get into so I don't think they're like at the brink of starvation that they Mm -hmm. would be were they there for like two three days correct um all right well let's let's listen in on how this goes because it's going to be a fairly significant chunk of scene here mm-hmm. uh where they're going to run into penny and desmond's boat or just penny's boat rather it's going to be the penny and desmond reunion which is wonderful but like it is you know the constant is still just a better scene for sure oh definitely but this is cathartic like it's this cathartic. is cathartic it's it beautiful was, the, it's the promise was made in the constant now it's being fulfilled and it's also nice because like so much bad stuff happened that it's like it's really nice for something really good to happen <laughs> exactly. so Mary, we needed a win <laughs> yeah we did need a win um but we also need to lie apparently let's listen in can't believe you did it who did what lock he moved the island no he didn't oh really cause one minute it was there and the next it was gone so unless we like overlooked it dude that's exactly what he did but you got another explanation man I'd love to hear it since we crashed on the island. Jack, I know I'm new to this group and everything, but isn't this the place where everybody starts jumping up and down and hugging each other? You're a freighter. Those men came to the island to kill us. All of us. 
You said that our plane was discovered on the bottom of the ocean. Well, someone put it there. Someone who wants everyone to think that we're dead. So what do you think is going to happen to us when we tell them that that wasn't our plane? What do you think is going to happen to the people that we left behind? Jack, we can't. We can't pull it off. Just let me do the talking. I'm just so happy that Desmond and Penny, because like you said, even outside of bad things happening to the Oceanic Six, bad things have been happening to Desmond Hume for so, so, so long. So he particularly, you talk about other beleaguered characters like John Locke and Michael Dawson. Desmond Hume needed, you know, I'm so sorry for making your life miserable. Uh, apologies accepted here. He finally reunites with Penny. And uh, Michael, uh, Henry and Cusick and Sonia Walker do such a great job with this reunion scene as well, between like the obviously passionate kiss, between like them laughing at each other. Like, you again, you feel that chemistry that has been felt between these two people for so many scenes. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Uh, it's really, it is, 
it's really nice that like some people are going to walk away from this episode with what they want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like maybe these two characters are actually going to get it. But uh, there is also this like, like Jack is such a killjoy, right? Where it's like, okay, we're not going to have to be on this tiny little raft for long. We're going to have a boat. Like we'll be able to get on there. And hopefully like this is going to turn around for us. But also before that happens, we got to lie about some shit. Yeah, so let's talk about because that even happens as they're they're pulling up to Penny's boat, right? Jack sort of like mutters under his breath, like, we're going to have to lie. And even up to that moment, he's still team anti-Lock, you know, Hurley saying like, I can't believe Lock moved the island. And Jack's like, Hurley, you didn't move the island. Shut up, Hurley. It was an optical illusion. But in that moment, I don't know if it's just like rescue finally being in sight that brings Jack to his senses here that he finally says, okay. Yeah, this needs to happen. Maybe it's also the fact that, like, because of the freighter blowing up, he he sorts he realizes, oh yeah, there were some bad people after us, and we only escaped due to luck. So we have right. to protect them. It's just it's a it's a really big colliding moment for this character. Yeah, uh, this is like things have turned really quickly. Where like he, I think, over the last couple of hours, he's had a lot of opportunity to like think about. Am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this wrong? Oh, my God. I think I'm doing this wrong. There goes Sawyer. Oh, my God. There goes the whole boat. Oh, my God. There goes the whole island. Uh, But, like, it is interesting to me that, like, he is arguing in favor of protecting the island because, like, uh, if we if we say the truth, if we come back and we say the truth, what's going to happen to everyone we left behind in order to feel that way, he has to at least, like, somewhat admit that he just saw the island blip out of space and time. Exactly. Which, which must be like the opening valve of, oh God, Locke might've been right. Well, because, yeah, because remember Locke told him, just wait until you I'm, see what I can do. And yeah. he just saw the magic trick happen. It's irrefutable at, at a certain point. Exactly. Like again, as Saeed will say, I'll believe what I can see. Look what you just saw. The, there really is no way around it. So I can imagine there's a lot of compartmentalization going on there from Jack's perspective. But yeah, as you said, it, it's a little bit of like a cut break moving on where we get really this beautiful reunion between Penny and Desmond. And oh, my heart soars and I tear up every time when Penny comes out onto the bow of the ship and like Desmond sees her. I mean, this is a moment that, like you said, like we knew what was hopefully going to come with the constant. I didn't expect it necessarily to come at the end of season four. I yeah. thought there were this was something they were going to keep dragging out because that's what they do with these shows until basically the end of the series for it to happen here was so surprising, but so heartwarming at the same time. It, it thrills me so much to see these two come together to see them embrace. And I mean, look, I enjoy the Desmond season five and six stuff. But Josh, if they rework that, I would not be unhappy if this is how we end the Desmond and Penny stuff. Yeah, in the series. I was thinking about that, too. Uh, like, I'm ultimately glad that we get more of the characters. But like, if this had just been the ending of their story, that also would have been fine. Yeah, because um, it's, it's, a, it's a very fitting conclusion, right? Like his Desmond's season five story is mostly fine. You know, like there is some cool stuff from it for sure. But it's interesting that for like the time travel season, he's not like an elite character of the time travel season. But every, everyone's Desmond yeah. uh, in that moment. So it's not, you know, it's not new and fresh anymore. Do you think when they got into the boat, Penny's like, a, oh, yeah, we got a Portuguese version of you saying that to Matthew Fox, like uh-huh. in the back. Why don't you yeah. come and meet your twin? Yeah, yeah. So it's them again, right? It's the Miss Whitmore. It's us. 
It's, yeah, I do, uh, I do think uh, one of them is on the boat. I don't know if it's both of them, and I don't remember if it's the Matthew Fox one or the other one. But yeah, one of one. It's that because they're speaking in Portuguese when they pick him up. It's also you know Frank even makes mention of this, right? It's very comparable to the raft being found by the boat in Exodus, albeit much differently, differently uh, tinged and with a different outcome as well. No kidnapped children in this moment, so it is supposed to be happy. But like you said, it immediately takes on this tone of like. We still have work to do. You can embrace all you want, and we might have actually found civilization, but like we are far from out of the woods at this point. Um, all right. Well, let's keep going. So everybody meets. Uh, it's really nice. <laughs> I love all the meetings with Penny. Really, really cute. Yeah, I love uh, um, Pen- uh, uh, Penny takes a shining to Aaron very yes. quickly. Yes. Uh, and we'll listen to that a little bit more, actually, in this penultimate sound that we have pulled uh, in this supersized recap. Um, this is like the one week later stuff. This is right before... It's been... One week? Yeah. This, so this is when Oceanic 6, uh, the Oceanic 6 are about to take off. They've had a week on the boat to kind of recalibrate, eat, uh, shower. Yeah, Desmond's, uh, Desmond's rocking a really fun hoodie. Yeah, he looks great. Like, she brought clothes for him. Uh, everybody else is sort of, like, in janky stuff, but that's part of the wardrobe, basically. Uh, we'll listen in on a bunch of highs and goodbyes in this penultimate sound. Let's listen in. What's this place called? Mimbata. Mimbata. Why are we doing this, dude? Sailing 3,000 miles to another island? Because it's the only way to keep them safe. How long till we'll hit land? Oh, the wind's not too brutal. Eight, nine hours. Just long enough to give you a nice, convincing sunburn. Huh? It's been a pleasure, Frank. Never see each other again. Roger that, Doug. <laughs> Very sweet, huh? You sure about this, brother? Are you sure? As long as I've got Penny, I'll be fine. Don't let him find you, Desmond. And I'll see you in another life, brother. Bye. All right. Let's go home. See, again, it's 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 these little moments with Jack and other characters in particular that make you feel like, uh, you know what? Uh, I like seeing them in the other two seasons, but maybe we we didn't need to bring them back. Like his final moments with Lapidus, right? With like, I hope we never see each other again. And then obviously the uh, Jack's... Listen, it's a, it's a fun moment, but Matthew Fox absolutely butchers see you in another life, brother. I know. And it's uh, it, they're going to they're going to trot this out again at the end of the show. Uh, it's like, but he, maybe it's because he's like, well, I didn't do it right the first time. Let me try it again. <laughs> I'll get another take at it. Great. Yeah. Maybe it's like, maybe I'll try it one more time. 
maybe it'll work better. All like Matthew Fox brings it in this scene. I just don't think he exactly has like the mouth to form those words. You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to start getting too deep down that. uh, (laughs) that Matthew Fox's mouth. Yeah, Matthew Fox. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not examining Matthew Fox too hard. I do love the goodbye with Frank. I hope we never see each other again. Roger that. Well, uh, it's going to be a fun moment, right? When uh, Frank is on a journey, he's like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to Guam, are we? It's pretty good. I thought we were never going to see each other again. Um, my favorite moment is uh, is Penny saying goodbye to Aaron. Bye, sweetheart. I just always loved that. I thought that's yeah, super cute. And, and possibly setting up uh, the adventures of little Charlie next season yeah. as well, that she's, she's already got, you know, baby on the brain. I really do like jack's let's go home right because like there's some really interesting finality in that and after that this is there's this um silent scene of the oceanic six plus frank uh you know paddling back or no just is frank with them i forget um no uh is he on the on the on the raft yeah is he on the raft i was no trying to no no okay no, no, for, no. for some reason i thought that he was no because they said goodbye no that makes okay i mean i'm completely undermining myself uh but they, as they're paddling back right now there's like now they can finally breathe it in it finally happens and i feel like those three words really start that up despite everything they've been through four seasons and then immediately like the past week of trauma that they've experienced it's now all over, at least for a second. They have made yeah. their way to shore. Ever since they crashed on this island, they have made it their goal to get off of it. And they it's just did. cool to watch how it plays out because like, it maps onto the photo that you see during mm-hmm. the Oceanic press conference in the first part of the finale. So like, there is just this quality now of um, time is a flat circle that I think that this episode embodies so beautifully that yeah. we are we are uh, ending effectively where we began here. Like the only thing that we're uh, missing here is like them meeting Oceanic Kresge, right? You know, like we're yeah. ju- we're not we're not quite getting that, but you know, yeah. It's I mean it's it's a really fantastic moment to bring things back around, and because we close that loop. Now we have to jump forward, right? That's the only room we have left at the moment in this timeline. And so we're going to jump forward again to Jack. I'm imagining this is a little bit after we have to go back. because I think the weather's different, but Jack is still stewing. This time he's not listening to Nirvana. He's listening to the Pixies. uh, And he just bricks his way into Hoff's drawler to go see Jeremy Bentham's uh, coffin. And you know... They really had to tease it out. We'll listen to the entire clip, but like he opens the coffin and of course we don't see who's inside it. Yeah. Uh, It's good camera work though. Yeah. But I do remember like certainly in the moment I was thinking like, well, they freaking did this at the end of season one. Are they going to do this with season four where we're like, we don't even see who's in the coffin, but we do. We do. Yes, we do. All right. Well, it's the final moment of the episode of season three. This I'll tell you fully blew my mind when I watched it the first time. Um, Let's just listen into the whole scene, then we'll unpack it. Hello, Jack. Sorry. Didn't mean to scare you. Did he tell you that I was off the island? Yes, he did. When did you speak to him? About a month ago. And Kate? Yeah. Yeah, 
he came to see her too. And what did he say to you? He told me that after I left the island, some very bad things happened. And he told me that it was my fault for leaving. And he said that I had to come back. Yes, I heard that you've been flying on passenger planes. Hoping that you'd crash. It's dark, Jack. Very dark. Why are you here? I'm here to tell you that the island won't let you come alone. All of you have to go back. Are you... Saeed, I don't even know where Saeed is. Hurley is insane. Son blames me for... And Kate... She won't even talk to me anymore. Perhaps I can help you with that. This is the way it has to be, Jack. It's the only way. You have to do it together, all of you. Oh. I have a few ideas. Jack. I said all of you. We're going to have to bring him to. Oh my God! It's oh Locke. my God! It's John Locke. It's John Locke in a box. Yeah, this was crazy. I remember, so I was covering the show at this time for my very first job at Wizard Magazine. Uh, and I uh, I had put together like a list of who I thought could be in the coffin. I think my theory was that it was going to be Saeed. Mm. Uh, oh, that, interesting. Like, so, that, like, that, so that the Saeed that we saw was someone different or that this was like a far future version of Saeed. Well, that like the Saeed that we had seen in The Economist, like, you know, like that guy like is living a very dangerous life and that it ultimately doesn't work out for him. Okay, so, uh, this, so you were not exactly on board of oh, it's shapeshifters taking the form of other no, characters. No, 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 no. I thought that I thought that it was going to be like Saeed had died. It was a, a, a very bad take. Uh, and just like John Locke was not on my radar at no. all because it's like that's John Locke. They're not going to kill John Locke. It's you know season four and they've got two more full seasons. Like they're not going to kill. John- oh my god, they they're killing John Locke. It's like how is that going to? How are they gonna? How are they gonna do that? And so like you know Locke got left behind and so something must have happened. But then he got off. But how did he die? Like there's just so much baked into the fact that John Locke is the man in the coffin. That John Locke is this apparent Jeremy Bentham. Um, and it just like opened up this world of questions that like, in addition to where did the island go? I, and I think that this is a testament to the success of the show and why I still love it so much. Mike, is that like, for me, the question was so much more profound of like, 
what's going to happen to John Locke? It was a character driven question for me exactly. that like kept me going all that time from the end of May to what, like the start of January, February when the show came back. Right. Cause yeah, let's remember, we'll talk about this. I think probably in our feedback show that, you know, loss is going to come back for another mid season premiere almost and just go 18 straight. It's a huge thing. But what I love about it is that it makes so much sense when you pair it with through the looking glass, because once again, Jack Shepard and John Locke are parallels. How did we end through the looking glass on Island Jack Shepard is on top. He's got everyone rescued. He made the call. He beat Ben Linus off island. He's at his valley uh, where he is washed up. He's, you know, addicted to pills. He's lost everyone in his life. Season four finale on island. John Locke is on top. He finally is welcomed into the island that has he's believed in for so long. He's found a home. He's found a community. He's gotten rid of Ben, who's been his closest competition off island. He's at his valley. He dead. And so I do love, again, how this calls back to the season three finale in that now we see the disparity with John Locke's character that the last time we saw him, he was at his top and now he's at the bottom here. Not only that, like you said, this is a character who was so wholly devoted to the island. How the hell is he going to leave it? You know, he's the person who refused to leave the island to the point where he splinters his own group in the beginning of season four just to make sure he doesn't leave the island how does he end up leaving the island? And more importantly, how does he die? John Locke can't die. John Locke is a main character. John Locke is one of the biggest characters on Lost at this point. He can't be dead four seasons into, into a six-season yeah. show. This is exactly my thought process. Yeah, this is exactly my thought process. And we should also mention, though, that this is, like Clue, uh, one of a few endings. Because they knew this was going to be such a big thing. They filmed several different endings that just in case the ending leaked out like it did with Dark UFO. Josh Holloway was in the Yeah, so was the, in two, the, the two were Sawyer and Desmond were the other two. Yeah. Uh, so there was, you know, there were a couple of options just to throw spoilers off the off the track. And it is like very surreal to like go back and check that stuff out uh, and like see like the, and like consider the alternate universes where it was Desmond or Sawyer. Yeah, well, uh, and I feel like those don't really hit very hard, right? Because like Maybe Sawyer, you could build in this arc, right, where he decides to leave the island to help protect everybody, and then, I don't know, him dying really hits hard. Desmond wouldn't make much sense, because he was already off the island, and you wouldn't really feel like he has to necessarily go back, even though he does. Locke was really the the ideal way to go. They probably just needed a couple of other, like, male bodies to fit that coffin. So they said, like, hey, Henry, hey, Josh, can you come down to set for one day? I just need yeah. to, like, throw you in a suit and put you in a coffin for a second. Yeah. Uh, so that's how season four ends. It ends with uh, a few, on, on, like, a few different levels. Like, one is, like, all right, so we are going to make an active plan to go back. Ben is going to help Jack get everybody together. It's got to be all of us. So it's, like, Ben and Jack are so far away from where they were at the end of season three. Now they're going to work together. Uh, and John Locke is dead. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's insane. Like the setup is so, so big um, that like you needed to go through season four, I think to like get you in position for like what it's going to take to go back and what's at stake and where people are emotionally when we go back. Mm-hmm. But there are ways in which like the characters are, not unrecognizable, but are like so different, uh, so mm. different. And it does require some mental gymnastics to like kind of track where people are and where people were and like why they are the way they are now. Um, but like, I think like the thing that like 
grounds it all and drives it all home is that they have to go back because they need to like they have to go back because look what happens if they don't if John Locke can be killed, then all of them are up for grabs. Uh, and also, is there a way to save John Locke, too? I know is like a big thing that's on the board at this moment in time. There isn't, but nope. like the show will like lean into it for a while. <laughs> Especially because so. his killer is going to be the one joining up with Jack. There's also a really interesting subject of unification here, where what I really love, even though you said the flash forwards are used to sort of serve as prologue for season five, I do love that it reminds us how, much like the end of part one of There's No Place Like Home, the Oceanic Six are scattered to the winds. As Jack yeah. sort of runs down the list, Saeed's MIA, Hurley's insane, Sun blames him for Jin's death, Kate refuses to talk to him, Aaron's a child. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> Aaron's a baby. Yeah, but, but Ben, uh, Goo Goo Gaga, he's a damn baby. Uh, but Ben is going to tell him, you're all going to have to do it, all of you. And so it's also like a, a reminder to us of how, okay, now the goal of these people is not only to go back to the island, but also, like, come back together as a group when three years have completely separated them. And yeah. so that's going to be a very fun thing to experience of how do all these people who were brought together under very weird circumstances at the very beginning of this series, how do they come back together again for the sake of all of these other people who they love, who you could either say they left behind or left them behind in a manner of speaking. It just sets up so many initiatives. And I, again, I, I just love the disparity between through the looking glass, Jack beats the snot out of Benjamin Linus and conquers him as the two leaders butting heads against each other. Now these two are finally going to work together. And so that's going to set up some very interesting prospects as well for season five. Ah, this episode's so good. It's so good. It's crazy. It's just an excellent episode. And yet, uh, as we look towards the 4.2 stars, this is one of the rare occasions where the finale is not like the crowning episode of the season. Uh, the constant is staying exactly where it is as we're turning towards 4.2 stars. This is the second best of the season because mm-hmm. uh, I gave it a perfect 4.2. So did you, Mike. Uh, and a 4.1 from the listeners is where that bears out. Um, it's a, it's an exceptional episode that just happens to be in the same season as the one that is the consensus fan favorite episode of all of law. Yeah. So it ends up, it's a 4.1 from the listeners, which we're bringing to a 4.18 overall. And I do believe, I think we'll measure up all the episodes next week. I think that does put it alongside Exodus. And maybe I want to say to the looking class was a 4.18 or 4.19 as well. So I think it's still in the top five episodes of lost uh just yeah unfortunately when you're coming up against the constant which is like the constant number one episode of lost and probably will be in the rest of our rankings it is tough but that being said you still have time to send in your rankings and ratings but let this be your final warning because the next time you're going to hear from us it'll be too late we always john lock in our numbers for the seasons at the conclusion of each one so if you're listening to this and you realize oh crap I didn't get my ratings in. You still can. It's a shorter season, right? Only 12 episodes to review. So no excuses. Send it in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. And also send us your feedback as well, because obviously since this podcast is long in the tooth to the point that Bernard's probably working on it, uh, we're not going to get to any feedback about this finale. We're going to get to all of that, plus everything all of you have been sending us throughout our, our sort of time-shifty schedule of season four in our next podcast as we look back 
as uh, you know, season four disappears and season five appears in front of our eyes. Yes. Um, all right. So the feedback is coming next week. Make sure you're sending your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Um, Mike, before we close out, do you want to do... Do you want to do MVPs, LVPs real fast? We got it. We're, we're staying on the note of how great this episode is. Let's, uh, you know, let's keep going with it. Let's right. let's give out some awards and some demerits to these people. And I think that we had decided that we would both give ourselves an extra MVP point and LVP point so that we have three MVPs each, three LVPs each is the way that we were going to... In, uh, in honor of the Oceanic Six, right? We're going to have six MVPs and six LVPs total. All right, I guess I'll I'll start by giving my MVP my first MVP point to Sun, uh, largely because of Yunjin Kim. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, like basically because of Yunjin Kim, uh, it's just such an excellent performance in the helicopter. We've been hyping it for a long time. It really, really delivered on the rewatch for me of just like, oh man, it, the pain is so palpable uh, that it's one of those moments where the acting is just so exquisite that who am I to to not give her uh, a point here? Yeah, I agree. I, I would give her another one uh, where, you know, I did I not give her a point last week. But as I said before, Young Jim Kim, Michael Emerson and Josh Holloway, I think performance wise, make this finale for me. And Kevin Durand, if you want to throw like Kimi, the Kimi flavor in there. Speaking of Michael Emerson, I'm going to give a point to Benjamin Linus here. Uh, now, look, he does indeed basically blow up the freighter. But he does succeed in his goal. He's able to move the island. I think Michael Emerson delivers a pretty damn powerful performance. I feel like Michael Emerson in the back half of season four has done a really fun job coloring this character in a way that we hadn't seen before. And he does kill the guy who killed his daughter. He's able to get revenge there. So even though it was an emotional, impulsive move, he does succeed in it. So I'm going to give Ben an MVP point here. Yeah, I'm going to just negate that. With my LVP point. Understandably so. <laughs> I mean, he does. He does get them all killed. He gets them all killed. They all die because of Ben on the on the freighter. So, so yeah, I kind of do have to do that, I think. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into our next ones because all right, let's let's just say it here, Josh. You and I are offloading our combined four MVP points onto Sawyer. Well, yeah, so I had two points that I was tossing on to Sawyer here because, like, the hero moment is just spectacular. It's just, it's such a great scene. It's so memorable. Uh, And then, like, like, so it's, like, it's the, it's how iconic the scene is uh, on top of, like, the practical terms that Sawyer saves lives by doing what he does, not just the people currently on the helicopter, um, it launches him into the best Sawyer arc, which is coming up, arguably, mm-hmm. right in season five. And it's Josh Holloway just being exceptional. Uh, so it was very easy for me to want to give him two points for this one. Yeah. And I'm going to give him another two as well. Uh, I think, like you said, it's a it's the the one of the most pivotal Sawyer moments. We talked about the repercussion, how he ends up saving the lives of the Oceanic Six plus Desmond plus maybe Frank Lapidus. But all right, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bring this up to the listeners because we're going to get into the full list of MVPs and LVPs next week. But when it comes to leader in the clubhouse for season four, we have a tie between the nicknamer and the nicknamee. Sawyer and Frank Lapidus are now officially tied six points apiece for season four. I think what we should do, Josh, is have the listeners email us between here and na- and when we record our feedback podcast saying who should be the overall MVP of season four, Frank or Sawyer. 
Yeah, uh, I would be totally fine to leave this one in the hands of the listeners. If we get enough votes, uh, just email us, especially if you've got rationale. We would love to hear it. Um, Who is the MVP of season four? Is it Frank Lapidus or is it Sawyer? As it stands, it is this six six tie. We need you all to break it. Uh, the the majority pick will be the winner, and that will be an official additional point that we'll give to that character for the overall tally. So there are some stakes going in mm-hmm. to the feedback show. Is it is it Sawyer or is it Chesty? Uh, <laughs> is, is the Kenny Rogers? Who is the MVP of season four? All right. Well, let's get into the LVP points here, because I'm just going to say I'm throwing all three of mine onto Charles Winmore. Uh, A, because uh, he ultimately fails, right? He's saying he was there to to infiltrate the island. He ends up losing the island. He does get sort of like found out by Sun and gets his pants pulled down a bit, even though he has a stiff upper lip. This season is all about him, you know, being the big bad guy, sending out his goons to find the island, and he fails at it temporarily. Not only that... With these three points, this is going to cement Charles Winmore as the overall LVP of season four. I, I wanted to do poor Miles a favor and not make him the overall LVP. So I was going to put Charles Winmore on the backslide here. Yes. Uh, so big, big wave towards Charles Winmore. Um, I'm giving one to Kimi and then Kimi's team because uh, they all the get Kimi. killed. Yeah. So Kimi gets one and Kimi's team gets one as well. Uh, they all die. So that's pretty easy for me. Uh there are other people who die in this episode. John Locke was briefly in consideration. Michael was in consideration, but they go through a lot and I like them both a lot. Uh, and Michael has been through enough. In fact, <laughs> I believe Michael ends up uh, zeroing out for oh, season four. Of course, naturally. <laughs> which yeah, I think well, is probably the right way to go. Well, we'll find out next week, though, because, uh, you know, we're going to take these numbers once we, we do some recalculation to make sure everything's right. And we're going to plug it all into the big system as well to see albeit a truncated season, what effect is season four going to have on these characters? It seems like, for example, like Sun and Saeed are going to take pretty big bumps in comparison to season three, whereas like uh, Miles is not starting off well. And I think Locke takes a pretty sizable hit, maybe the most sizable hit since season two. So yes. it'll be it'll be fun to pontificate on all that. Yes, absolutely. All right. So we'll go through like the full MVP LVPs next week. We'll go through all of your feedback as well. Uh, perhaps we will also announce what we're doing as a bonus podcast Ooh. between season four and the start of season five. We will be having a bonus podcast in between the season four feedback show and the season five premiere just to buy us another week uh, so we can recharge, recalibrate. I've got a really fun idea. Uh, hopefully it's going to come together. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, but get your feedback in down the hatch at post show recaps dot com that's down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com for that finale feedback special you've got the time to do it which is great news for literally everybody involved so much happening here on post show recaps the bloom files mm-hmm. yeah we're and- at this point we are i believe we'll be done we'll be finishing up season three and moving into season four ironically enough as we're finishing off season four and moving into season five i also believe at the time this is being released the finale of the falcon and the winter soldier should be out as well I have no clue what's going to happen in the episode that just came out at the time this is being released because so many bananas things have happened. I may be eating a snake when this is all said and done, but I'll be sure to be breaking it all down on Everything is Super with Kevin Mahadeo and Latanya Starks. I know that Josh, where are you in community building right now? 
Uh, don't ask me. I have no idea. I think somewhere in like the season uh, season one episode twelve range. I'm pretty sure. That's like halfway through, I think. Yeah, but this time travel thing is is pretty wonky. Mike and I have been talking. By the way, we think uh, we'll be able to to get things oriented back towards uh, a shorter time frame between recording and releasing. Yeah, the we're, we're going to send our own John Locke to push yeah, the frozen we're gonna, donkey. We're going to work on this. So we're working on this. It may not have worked out for all of you. It didn't work out so great for us too in terms of just keeping track of everything. So we are working to. To make all of that uh, more streamlined for season five as we move forward, um, so get that feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. I'd say, Mike, I can't believe season four is over, but it's not for us. We still have to put a bow mm-hmm. on it. We'll do that next week. Look back on the full journey. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.